space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Deltons and Vulcans, Apollo and Metrons, Spock and Lee Kelso, Klingons and Mr. Sulu, Elizabeth Sherwood, Mr. Scott and Chekhov, Orions and Gary Mitchell, Khan! They're all part of the Star Trek Who's who? Tellerites and Romulans, number one and Captain Pike, Uhura and Captain Kirk, Doc McCoy is kind of a jerk. They're all part of the Star Trek. Who's who? Hey, what about the Ewoks? Hello, and welcome to the second exciting episode of Who's Who in Star Trek, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and part of the larger Who's Who series. Like the first episode, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me again for book two of this great series is Chris Franklin. Hello, Chris. Hello. Siskoid. I am here. And joining us, uh, the uh, new crew member... Uh, you might say our Chekhov in this particular dynamic is from the <laughs> Hammer Podcast. Our pal Gene Hendricks. Hello, Gene. Hello. Well, for a man that said he'd he'd return to the network, just a moment, Mister Franklin, sir, and I'll explain what happened. Your revered Admiral Rob invoked a little-known, seldom-used nuclear sub-activation clause. In simpler language, Chris, they drafted me. They didn't. This was your idea, wasn't it? Gene, there's a thing out there. Why is any issue we don't understand always called a thing? Gene, we need you. All right. I'll need a top co-host, not a blogger who will argue every little note with me. They probably changed the whole feed, too. I know podcasters, they love to change things. Silence. (laughs) Wow. You guys had a whole bit prepared, and at no point did you tell the host. That's interesting call. Interesting call. So, okay. Well, you, we, we know it's going to be a long episode. We want you to nix it. All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's very confident, Gene. Uh, so, okay. Uh, yeah. So this is it's, – it's That was setting, Gene's idea. I don't want to get kicked off the network for this. Set, setting a troubling precedent for the next three and a half hours of what this is. So, all right. Well, let's, let's get rolling. You said this is book two of Who's Who in Star Trek. It's cover dated April 1987. Went on sale January of 1987. Uh, this is the second and final issue of the series. Um, just a little uh, sort of housekeeping note. We, uh, Shag and I mentioned that we were going to do feedback uh, for this second episode of Who's Who's Who, but we're not. We decided to do feedback uh, as a separate episode, and we're going to combine the feedback for Who's Who in Legion and Who's Who in Star Trek. So if you have comments, we had a lot of comments on the first episode, which thank you, thank you everybody very much. Uh, so if you want to leave comments for this, go right ahead. That We will be reading them on the air a little bit down the line after Shag has had a chance to complete his Who's Who in Legion, and we're wrapping up Who's Who in Star Trek here. So that's what we're going to be doing. So this episode will just be talking about this particular book, Who's Who in Star Trek. So let's just get started. Uh, who wants to talk about the cover, once again, by Howard Chaikin? Well, it was published when Spock's bathrobe look was hot, so, you know. <laughs> I want to know why Harry Mudd looks like a Hanna-Barbera villain. <laughs> he always has. <laughs> <laughs> Not to that extent. <laughs> I'm waiting for Muttley to show up behind the Tribbles. 
thought that was Dum Dum Dugan. I, I I wasn't sure, you know. <laughs> no bowler. <laughs> I, I like the cover though, but yeah, I think I think there there's. I've always heard there was something with um, Roger C. Carmel's estate that they would not let his likeness be used. Um, I don't know if that's true. You hear these things, but I know the Playmates action figure looked more like the animated Harry Mudd than the actual actor, but it was based on the actor, so it was kind of weird, but he looked more quote-unquote cartoony than the other classic series figures, so who knows? That seems like a very bizarre uh, line in the sand to draw for Roger C. Carmel's estate. Yeah, I know. I mean, it doesn't what, make much sense. No, I mean, no. you know, I mean, what? What? I don't understand. What was it? The, the, were they flush with mothers-in-law money? I don't. I don't get what. <laughs> like, why, why would you do that? Like, the one thing the man's known for is Star Trek, and you're like, no, screw you guys. It doesn't. It doesn't I mean, it's not that I don't believe you, but it makes no bloody sense at all. Uh, well, in in the Batman '66 Green Hornet crossover, Colonel Gum has his face covered through the whole thing. They wow. never show. They never show Roger C. Carmel at all. That is, that is, that is bizarre. Uh, I do love the back portrait of the uh, Telosian. I think that's a great little portrait. I'm not. That the, is. The design of this cover is a little iffy to me, just the way the boxes just kind of get dropped in. But uh, I like uh, Sulu arm in arm with Savic. Well, not, well, no, he's not arm in arm with Savic, but he's arm in arm with Jillian and walking mm-hmm. with Savic holding a tribble. Like, I, I think that's a nice shot. Yeah, we know who all these characters are, unlike the first cover. <laughs> There's still a strange mystery ship, though. The, the you know the box on the bottom. What's that? Is is that supposed to be? What is that supposed to be? That's that's a Romulan ship. Look at the uh, the Romulan. Oh yeah. Factory. Yeah, yeah. Right. Are those from the the, the role playing game or something? Not sure. But I, prob- I, in the comics, probably. I, I believe that was a design from the comics, yeah. Okay, okay. Hmm. All right, okay. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I do wish that Spock had had a chance to be shown in his classic outfit, not the robe. But There's a nice contrast there, where like the white figure, and because everything else is so dark. And, uh, you know, so he, just, he does really stand out. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true, yeah. And Star Trek Four was a giant hit, so you could see why they were, you know, trying to capitalize on that a little bit so i mean I think it was was it was it a bigger hit in terms of money than the first film or is it pretty close i think i always thought it was the biggest hit until the reboots i thought so too yeah i, th- I think yeah. i don't know <laughs> i know we can't say anything bad about the first movie because gene's here we're trying to be nice i understand <laughs> it's fine so and we've gotten all the tm all <laughs> yeah well all this all the stuff was in the first issue I don't think there's any motion picture stuff in this one. Oh, that's why I wasn't here for the first episode. (laughs) That's right. Trying to make this a safe space for everybody. (laughs) No entry for (laughs) V'ger. No, no entry for V'ger. Oh, that's true. Um, So, all right. So we have the the inside cover, which is another editorial by Robert Greenberger. He talks a little bit about the, you know, the, the... history of it in the making talked about Ken, some of the artists uh, ken penders he says he calls a star trek buff supreme mentions rt bear michelle wolfman did a lot of the colors and he says once again we solicit your comments tell us what worked what didn't what we got right and what we erred selected comments will be published in our monthly star trek title this spring live long and prosper so uh, we're going to move right on to the first entry and that is marla mcgyver's mrs khan drawn by joe brozowski and mike DiCarlo. 
Uh, Shag and I have taken quite a number of shots at Joe Brzezowski in the classic Who's Who series, but, uh, and I have to say this is probably mostly the work of, of Mike DiCarlo. I think this is a fairly handsome entry. Except it doesn't look anything like her, of course. Well, you right. beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens a lot. It happened a lot in the first issue. Same here. It's like they never had any photo reference for any of these people. <laughs> or perhaps, you know, just, just not the rights to likeness. That's possible as well. But it's really not any of her, or her two hairstyles on the show. <laughs> and her hair color is not even right because her hair was somewhat reddish. You know? Yeah, right. Auburn, yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that in the serpent, they're showing something that we've never seen, which is her presumably dying from the ear slug thing. Uh, you, I mean, Kirk uh, Khan just mentions that in Star Trek Two, but it's not like we see it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just trying to fill in the gap there. You know, uh, everyone's used to seeing her on the Enterprise, and this is the one one time that she was significant in the turn of a character, but we never saw it. Yeah, true yes. enough. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. And also, as the, is that a painting of Valor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like any of the paintings that she had on the show. No. I, it's probably, well, no, actually, I don't know the chair, but it's, it's like, it's a painting of Khan, obviously, but uh, one we didn't see. Mm. She's a quick, she's a quick uh, paintbrush artist. Yeah. Had to fill the time on SETI Alpha Five somehow. She's yeah. Bob Ross like, you know, she can crank them out. Yeah. She had her own little little show on SETI Alpha. And now we have a happy little dictator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting in some birds of prey here in the background. Just happy little birds of prey. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Of course, before everything went to hell, and you know, SETI Alpha Six exploded, as we all know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty good listing. I, I think it really this is Mike DiCarlo doing all the heavy lifting. I would say. Yeah. Well, did Mike DiCarlo ever not do heavy lifting? <laughs> that is true. That is true. So Ouch. apparently, apparently, she was supposed to originally be in Star Trek Two, but something with the actress could not be worked out, so they ended up just killing her off screen. Mm. Have, you, have you guys ever heard that? I have no. not. No. Yeah. I, I mean, even I think, so, it, yeah, it gives Khan a, a better motivation. Yeah, I think dramatically it works a lot better that she's just she died off screen, and you know, basically as he blames it on Kirk as opposed to seeing her. So, uh, I don't. I'm glad we never got to see that scene of her writhing on the ground in the one outfit she has, apparently. Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, I think it works out uh, works out just well. So uh, you know, per, a decent listening, good way to start. Um, next up, we've got the Melcots from Spectre of the Gun. Joined by Mike Clark and Greg Brooks, uh, just the whole big cloud and the the, the false fronts uh, of the of the uh, western town is pretty much all we've got going on in this little half page Melcott's drawing. There's also yeah. a, a coloring error, if you noticed. Um, there, the the people that were supposed to be on that landing party are Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, and Chekhov. Mm-hmm. That's two blue shirts, two gold shirts, and a red shirt. Where's wow. the blonde red shirt come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't d- draw the Melcott to look right, even though there was only one shot of him throughout yeah. the entire episode. Uh, it's a giant brain thing with eyes, and it's a pretty cool design. So why do we have, you know, a tornado with, you know, headlights in the middle of it? I, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, it's like, 
wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's an expressionistic, uh, you know, kind of Melcott because it's it's kind of that idea. Those eyes on the brain, mm-hmm. kind of there are eyes on the brain that could be this, and there's sort of the shape of the brain around those eyes, uh, but basically the smoke kind of takes over. I, I, you know, another one where the artist never saw the show. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a lot like, It didn't bother me. Yeah, it didn't bother me in the first issue because I, I never really, I, I didn't do side by side comparisons, but, you know, talking about it when that's not the right uniform, that's not the right costume. That's not, so I, I read this issue while looking at photo reference. Just oh. <laughs> Was a was a mistake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I did the same. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I do think it's interesting that you know this is a very abbreviated entry, and it doesn't even introduce the Erps. It just says the Erps are out to you know kill them basically, and it's like, well, who are the Erps? If you don't know your American Western history, then you'd be totally lost reading this. <laughs> I think they assumed so, kids who knew. Yeah, they they assumed kids were less dumb back then. So they just I guess so. You knew yeah. something about history. Nowadays, nobody knows anything. So you know, you, we right. don't explain it all out. But yeah, you just yeah. know who the herbs are. The herbs are famous. Yeah. Come on, just dumb kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the second half of the page is the Metrons from one of my favorite episodes, Arena, and we see one of them and with his little gold uh, dusty stuff. And then in the surprint, we've got. The Gorn putting the big whammy on Captain Kirk. Um, I mean, you know, I, I this because this is one of my favorite episodes. I like this listing just because it's one of those characters. But the Metrons are such a bunch of dicks that I, I you know, <laughs> it's hard for me to kind of like them because they were, you know, you are too savage. You know, I, I please, I'm tired of that crap. Maybe in a few thousand years you'll be kind of where we are. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, this is drawn by the same artist from the entry up above. Isn't that amazing? That's Mike Clark. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't say yeah. that. Yeah, Mike Clark and Keith Williams did, did this one. Yeah. Right. It doesn't look like it's anywhere near the same same artist. And this, the Gorn actually is more on model here than he was in his entry uh, last last issue. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm not taking any superiority lessons from a race that wears flip flops. I'm just not. Right. <laughs> no, you guys can you guys can go pound sand. I'll hang with the Gorn. I don't really care. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's not a whole ton to say about them, and and it's really mostly the the, the sh- it, this is this is probably the only listing I can think of where the surprint is larger than the main image. Yeah, that's true. All right. It it's also interesting that these two are listed together because it's it's kind of the same plot. <laughs> <laughs> More or less, yeah. Gene L. Coon was, uh, you know, plagiarizing himself and uh, under a pseudonym. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, right, right, Lee Lee Cronin, right? Was right. That a pseudonym? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and neither race was ever heard from again. Have they, not, have they not done a Gorn in one of the movies yet? That's crazy. That would be so such a visual punch to put in a movie to have a Gorn. I can't believe they haven't gotten around to that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up is Miramini from the Paradise Syndrome, drawn by Michael Bear. Boom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she'll be played by Cher in this episode. I, yes. I, 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 I mean, I'm guessing on this 
this planet that they're destroying is from, the gravity is lesser or more. <laughs> I don't exactly know. This is not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's different. We know that. Yeah. Yes. All those asteroids have affected the gravitational pull of the. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is one of the ones I've noticed this a couple times in this issue. I don't think the writer was checking himself, but if you look at the vital statistics, height five feet four inches, then it goes on to describe her as tall and statuesque. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think five foot four was very tall. <laughs> Not particularly, no. Compared to Shatner, you know. But I'm... <laughs> <laughs> how tall but, is how tall is he? I don't actually know how tall is he. Uh, he he's shorter. He's not. I don't think he's really short, but he's shorter than he than he normally appears. I believe. Sure. sure. I've met the guy, but I can You know, I, I can't tell you. I, you know, I was too. I was too dumbstruck. You know. <laughs> Shatner is five ten, apparently. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Acceptable. Yeah, it's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. But here I have this. I have an issue with Michael Bear's art. We had this problem with the Deltons last time, which mm-hmm. wasn't that much of a problem because you know I was kind of my eyes glaze over whenever we talk about Deltons. Anyways, so <laughs> but Miramani here and uh, Natira later both have this problem. It's um, what I will call the the bear breast. Pardon the pun, yeah. but Michael Bear's breasts on women are absurd, and it's <laughs> it's because they they are not the, the, there's no the cloth doesn't respect any kind of physics, so it just looks like a watermelon shape, <laughs> sort yeah. of you know, and it's it's really like it's skin tight, but yet not really the the shape of a of a of a breast necessarily. Um, it's like it's an over-sexualized, but at the same time, to me, repulsive <laughs> way to draw women. Anyways, <laughs> it's really bad on Natira, I think, because of the cut of her dress. Uh, but uh, but it's the same idea here, where he, he you know he draws the whole shape uh, in black line. It doesn't make sense to me. It's it's Jim Ballant boob. I mean, it, yes, it, yeah, it's, yes. It's, I, and and Miramani was the actress that played her was very attractive. But yeah, this she she was not, you know. I never saw her stand this way in the episode. I mean, you know, this is yeah, this this is way out there. And and then the the obelisk is is off model because that was a yeah. really cool set piece. I mean, that was one of the best set pieces. How they managed to have the money for that in season three, I have no idea. Uh, but, but that was a really nice piece, and it's completely off model. And yeah. the worst thing about this entry, there's no mention. That she was carrying Kirk's kid. <gasps> That's true. Yeah. I mean, they. I, I'm going to jump ahead here, but we will learn that Spock had a kid with Zara Beth in a novel. <laughs> and it's included. This was on the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Too dark. I guess. I do. I do feel like I want to say something positive. I do like the design. Uh, like I like the pattern, I like the color, the magenta, and the sort of grayish black and white line pattern. I, I, I think it's a. I agree completely, Tiskoy. The anatomy is makes your is just you know come on, cloth <laughs> cloth does not pull under a breast to the point where it, yeah I mean you wouldn't be able to put the thing you know. But and that I, little chicken wing of an arm. Anyways, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but I like the design. I think the design is yeah. Is handsome. No, I agree. Yeah. 
All right. Okay, next up, uh, the Mirror Universe. Uh, one oh, of the yeah. most funny, one of the, I'd say, probably one of the top three or four things from Star Trek that have sort of perforated the culture. The idea of a mirror, you know, the goatee means you're evil. That whole version of that. Uh, this is drawn by Ron Friends, who is really kind of the unsung hero, I would say, of Who's Who in Star Trek, because every one of his listings, I think, are pretty good. And inked by Bruce Patterson, and we see the, the, the Mirror Universe crew, Kirk, with his legs open as, like, the He-Man that he is, and the, the evil Spock, and everybody with the... And the, they've got the, uh, the logo for the Injustice Society of the World in the background there. It's... it's uh, <laughs> It's really it's it's there's not a lot of space considering there are what like 16 figures in various forms here but it's a nice looking piece. Yeah, and we've got the stuff from the comics as well at the bottom where they're in uh, movie uniform. Yeah. Which which I enjoyed in the comics though yeah. when they they came over and reading this entry and knowing where the mirror universe goes cuz what you listeners have to remember is that this comic was published and in the 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 editor's note they said and on the horizon is star trek the next generation so we didn't have what became of the mirror universe in ds9 yet but this could still work with what we know happens in ds9 because the empire fell and in here it's set up that the empire is going to fall so it it can actually connect which go is pretty interesting considering they didn't plan it that way nice Hmm. Yeah, they've had trouble with the mirror universe, uh, keeping it coherent. There's really more than one mirror universe at this point. Like this stuff, and that's also in Enterprise, I suppose. And then there's, uh, yeah, the stuff that happens canonically in Deep Space Nine. But there's also like uh, in the novels, there's a um, evil Picard crew as well. So before DS9 ever did it. Everybody was trying to do it in the non-canon mm. because it's such a cool concept. Uh, but, you know, nobody followed that particular... They didn't make the Empire fall, necessarily. Mm. Ah, I see. I love the body language in this. We talked about that last time, but each character has, you know, is in an interesting pose. And, you know, that's that's just that... Uh, I, I said it last time, the how to draw comics the Marvel way. Uh, Ron Friend's approach... Uh, to it, it's it's just really nice. The only the only little nit, it's minor, but they colored uh, Marlena's top wrong. It should be blue, of course, but you know we'll we'll forgive them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting in the in the listing. It talks about what they wear, which is sort of strange because we can already see that. I mean, it says the uniforms of the crew were altered, with Kirk wearing a bright green metallic vest and Lieutenant Uhura clad in a sparse two-piece suit and high leather boots. Well, we see that. Why do we why do we need to waste a paragraph? Describing it, it was, when you can see he it. He was afraid he'd get an artist that never had seen Star Trek before. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, so, all right, that's the Mirror Universe. Uh, next up, we've got Gary Mitchell from where we do? No, yeah, from where from where No Man Has Gone Before, drawn by Joe Bozowski and Carl Kiesel. Another, I think, another really nice listing, probably helped immeasurably by the inker Carl Kiesel. Uh, this really doesn't look like Gary Lockwood. Uh, at, at all, but uh, I don't. I, we have to give that up. It doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> but we we see all the events. We see him with his with his spooky eyes. We see him attacking Kirk and stuff like that. So, uh, what do we think of this one? It's a nice piece, but yeah, it's just the, the, the yeah, it's 
yeah, I don't know who this guy is, but yeah, I, that that's my stumbling block through a lot of this. I, I'm gonna have to just deal with it, I guess. <laughs> he looks like a hybrid between Captain Pike and Captain Kirk, more than anything else. Hmm. But I I like the the entry itself. I mean, the art is good. It's not Gary Lockwood, but it's good. But the entry, I like how it goes into the background of why Kirk and Mitchell were so close, and how it. It progressed, and that's that's where you see it, and where no man has gone before. That they are the best of friends, and with reading this, you actually feel the pain that Kirk had to go through to actually kill his best friend. I think it's mm-hmm. it's interesting in the uh, the specifications. It says he's height six foot, weight one fifty. That is thin. That is yeah. oh, that, yeah. that is bone thin, uh, and that is not represented in the artwork. So I wonder if that's a typo because 156 foot is beanpole thin yeah that's that ciscoid is brought up on a hot move or not that i don't think any of these heights and weights ever <laughs> they're just, and it's even worse with with star trek because you think about like real human beings real actors and so then you're you're thinking in your head well gary lockwood probably at least weighed like 180 185 or something you know you're thinking in yeah. your head like, <laughs> and and the thing is you with real actors, you can check that. <laughs> you you can call up their agent or call them up and say, hey, I'm doing this thing for Star Trek. I just need to know your height and weight in the 60s. Is, is it that hard? Now, I Gary, mean, just, Gary, just wait until later. Yeah. Gary Lockwood, uh, the actor, is still with us. He's still around. And considering the fact that he has been in Star Trek and in 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, he probably needs to do a Star Wars movie just to sort of hit all the sci-fi bases. So, I mean, I'd like to, you know, and they're making Star Wars movies every year. So somebody get him in a Star Wars movie just for even like two lines just to say, just so he can say I've been in Star Wars, Star Trek and 2001. I mean, the hell of a resume. Did he, has he done anything in years? I haven't, I don't know if I ever saw him anything Beyond uh, 2001. I think he's been in some stuff, but yeah, I don't think he was, you know, I think 2001 was the big moment. The big, you know, so. Uh, It's kind of interesting. You would think about that, you know, just slightly off that, like, that that clearly, because of course he did Star Trek first uh, before he did 2001, that that stuff didn't let Stanley Kubrick stop him. You know, he was like, that's the right guy, even though he would have been in a Star Trek and you, you could see space and space. A lot of actors would kind of get ruled out for things like that, but clearly Kubrick was okay with it. If, if I understand, Stanley Kubrick probably didn't even see Star Trek. They probably didn't even know. Yeah. Well, Gary Lockwood, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and Gary Lockwood, uh, his career kind of petered out after the 90s. Um, because, of course, he appeared on... Um, his last major credit was appearing a number of times on Murder She Wrote, but uh, <laughs> all right, in, di- in different roles. But uh, yeah, but he's been doing you know from time to time. He's even got something completed but not yet released. Uh, he's filming Star Trek Equinox, the uh, Night of Time TV movie, right now as Fleet Captain Gary Mitchell. So he's reprising that role. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So whatever that is. Possibly a uh, you know a YouTube production or something. Star Trek Ikenox, right? It's one of those. It, it's it sounds like it's a fan production, yeah. Yeah. So he's um, you know he's still he's still attached to, to, to Star Trek. Oh, good for hmm. him. Good for yeah. him. 
Uh, all right, next is Maria Morelli uh, from Star Trek number 27. I have zero idea who this is. Yeah. She was uh, n- not quite minor character. <laughs> oh, my God. If, if she had been minor, at least. But, yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, yeah. They gave her a romance with Sulu uh, very late in the game. Well, no, actually, right off the bat, when, um, in number 27, when she first appears in Star Trek, uh, volume one, number twenty-seven. They start a romance with her on um, with, with Sulu, and then they break up ten issues later, and she's whisked off into limbo. So it's like a ten-issue romance, which is much ado about nothing. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to say, reading back through those issues, not monthly, but just kind of binge reading them, it just flies by. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> He was interested in her. They had this whirlwind romance. She said, well, you know, you're not buckled down enough for me. I'm out of here. Okay. What was that all about? <laughs> uh, she is not Demora's mother. That's <laughs> what <laughs> I should mention it's drawn by Kurt Swan and Joe Rubenstein. It's a little bit of a thankless task. There's not a lot of space there. There's a little shot of them, her and Sulu canoodling. Um, she's good. What is she holding? What is that thing? Is that, what is it? The, I don't know what that is. It's some type of scientific measuring device. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's the, she couldn't just be standing there. So here, put something in her hand. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, it, but it's interesting that she's on the same page as Mares, mm. who is next. The, uh, the cat lady from, uh, the animated series because they brought her in back into the comic series in issue 37. So Maria's out and Mares is in, mm. in the, in the comics. And here does the same transition on a page just by, you know, accident. Oh, there you go. Yes. As Siskoid said, Mares is by Ken Penders and Romeo Tengal. She of course first appeared in the animated series. Uh, I think she's in one of the power records too. And am I right about that, Chris? Mm, maybe. I thought she was in one of the power records. We got to go. She might those. be. Yeah. yeah, we do. Uh, we see her yeah. on the we see her on the Enterprise, and we see her using her cattail to smack somebody. Uh, not the greatest, you know, drawing in the world. Ken Penders is a little bit of rough stuff here. Uh, but I I've always kind of liked the character design, and I liked I mean I liked all the I mean these characters these these more fanciful characters from the animated series are sort of the Star Trek version of the ethnic characters from Super Friends. You know, it's like a way to it's a way to expand the universe a little and doing it something that you probably couldn't do or weren't able to do in the original form yeah. of the character. And they were filling out roles that the original actors didn't come back for. Right. So they didn't have Nichelle Nichols, so yes, Mares. They did. did they? They yes. had the only the only actor that Mares? did not return was Walter Koenig. Okay. But Mares Mares would uh, alternate with Uhura. And oh, Michelle Nichols voiced her, I think. No, no um, Major no, Barrett. Major Barrett did. Oh, Major Barrett. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, but yeah. I think it was probably in episodes where Michelle Nichols was doing other voices because they had a limit. You, If you did any more than three voices in an episode, you had to get paid more. <laughs> so that's why James Doohan did a lot of different voices, but then Scotty didn't have anything in that episode. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Fair enough. I just uh, when you said that about the, the these characters being like the the ethnic super friends, Rob, that made me think just imagine if they'd put up Orko 
or Batmite like character on the Star Trek. Anime. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's Tribby the Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's then the Glomer would have to come in sooner. Yes, right. <laughs> they absolutely would have befriended a Gorn, like a happy Gorn, like a like a, a female, not a female Gorn, but like a like a cartoony Gorn that absolutely would Gorny or something like that. They absolutely. Would have <laughs> he would have the Konam of Gorns. Is what that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Oh God. Uh, I'm just it's so hard. I'm sorry I even brought it up because I'm horrified that I did. <laughs> so. I Gleek and Orko I hate all those characters. Okay, let's let's get something good. Next up, Harry Mudd by John Byrne and Terry Austin, the, the re- reunited X Men team. Uh, we all know, and from Chris has talked about this on Supermates podcast, how much John Byrne loves Star Trek. I think it comes through in all of his drawings. I love this listing. I, he looks so it's it's got such energy. I love him getting yelled at by the. Hey. the <laughs> I love I love them with their the, the, with their fingers up the hardcore Fenton mud thing and then you've got the space hookers in the background. <laughs> I, I think this looks so good. I think it's such a beautiful drawing. I just burned really clearly what and I love the serpent sp- spilling over mud. I think that's such a great little detail. Yeah, with well, the the Enterprise coming through. Yeah, that that's great. And I I love how he got all the stuff. Right. He got the dilithium miners shack correct. The Mud's women look all exactly like they did in the episode. It's it's you can tell Byrne loves this stuff because he just put all kind of good detail in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stella scared me as a kid and she still does. <laughs> <laughs> Especially four of them. Yes. <laughs> And even the text is well done. I mean, it, the, all these entries have quotes and logs and whatnot, but this one has is very is, is more special. It's got his police record up top, and then the not, bio. Not just his police record, his future police record. Future police record, yeah. <laughs> future police record code X whatever. <laughs> This this was the one uh, entry that made me stop and look at the height, though. And I messaged Rob about this before uh, we started recording. But if you look at the height, six foot one, no way, because he towered over Kirk. Yeah. So I looked it up. Roger C. Carmel was six foot three. <laughs> Why change that? You know, that it doesn't make any sense. And uh, any of the ones that I went and double checked. They're always two inches shorter. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Well, the camera adds two inches. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and 50 pounds. And 50 pounds. Because, <laughs> I mean, t- today it's a lot more, you know, you checked and you found he was six foot three. But in 87, that may not have been as easy to do. Yeah, that but. Research. You st- you still know he's not six one, and uh, back to the weight thing, six one two forty. That's one inch taller than me, and about seven pounds heavier than me. I, I maybe I flatter myself, but I don't think I look anything like Harry Mudd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little light in the poundage for Harry Mudd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only person that would love to see him in the new movies played by Nick Frost? Just so you can reunite Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. 
that would, that would be funny. He would do an amazing job. Uh, yes. I mean, I'm not saying build a whole movie around Harry Mudd, but just like a little appearance. I think that would have be... him in a, a scene or two. Like they're yeah. they're on a, a planet for something, and Harry Mudd's trying to swindle somebody. Perfect. He, there you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I like the last two movies have had the little opening, almost James Bond like scene in it. That you know, of course, this last one kind of tied into the movie. But uh, you have Harry Mudd in that scene, you know. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, geez, it just dawned on me. I hadn't seen Star Trek Beyond when we did the first episode, and now I have. So now I feel like I'm all caught oh. up, at least, on the movie. So, okay. Oh, good. Uh, next up is uh, Natira, again, drawn by Michael Bear, as Siskoid mentioned. Uh, if there's anything, I'd say the breasts are even more absurd drawn <laughs> uh, in terms of the, the, their defying of any sort of natural laws of anatomy here. Uh, the design, it's probably maybe a little over-designed. Like, there's just a little too much going on here. Uh, but it does get across the whole stuff with, with McCoy, and there's a little portrait of McCoy, and then her and him together. So, uh, yeah, what do we think of this one? It's off all model. right. It's off-model. Yeah. I mean, Natira has those, like, uh, she has a very distinctive hairstyle. You know? Yeah. Uh, and... Um, uh, eyelashes as well. There's like an eyelash thing going. So it, th- that's that's not here at all. She's not wearing the same thing. Though, and this is this is we we talked about this the last time where we got this extraneous entry on the Fabrini, which told us the whole story, and well, more or less. And here it is again. You know, so a lot of these characters are here to present an entire episode's worth of uh, of information, uh, and are sometimes the only ones in from their episode. Uh, I think I would have been happy with just Natira and not the Fabrini or wasn't the Fabrini from this yet. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not mixing episodes together. Am I? No, you're right. Okay. Because they're the Fabrini, but they're from Yonada. So they're they're Yonadans or, Oh God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, she's off model. But like many of these characters, I think the the, the entry otherwise is is fine. Right. I like Michael Bear's bones down in the corner. That that's a pretty good DeFore Skelly. <laughs> yeah, that that looks really good. Yeah, that's not, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it really. <laughs> uh, so uh, right next up uh, is number one by Chris Wozniak and Art Nichols. Uh, I feel like this is kind of perfectly representative of the character and that it's really boring. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just I uh, I don't know. I just I mean it's fine. Actually, it's fine. It's it's just this character. The, the character never did anything for me in the pilot. Not that really like there's a whole lot of time to do anything with her, but necessarily. But it's it's just one of these perfectly acceptable listings. Yeah, she's got some He-Man thighs going on, but uh, you know, other than that, yeah, it's it's, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The entry goes into a lot more of her history and her um, her future. Uh, you know, go where she's actually from, uh, a colony of people of telepaths who don't really express their emotions. Um, so, you know, exp- going some ways to explain her attitude because the cage could never do it. Mm. And so, it, th- th- there's more information here than you, than we're normally aware of. And they actually do use this to help explain why Spock behaves differently in between the cage and the regular series. Is right. he, he was a little more loose with his emotions before, and then she, this, 
this was number one was his mentor more or less, and he started to shift more Vulcan due to her. So it, right. it's a nice way to explain it. Well, and they, you know, Roddenberry famously couldn't he he couldn't keep both of them, so he had to, you know, fire his mis- mistress and and. Uh... <laughs> And then hire her again. And then hire her again, but he had to give her characteristics to uh, to, to Nimoy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So the, the bit about the, what happens to her in her accident, that's from uh, Star Trek Annual Number 1, the DC Annual, uh, that actually shows how Kirk takes over the ship from Pike. Hmm. Does that, doesn't that look like Kirk and the Serpent? And yet they didn't interact, right? Because she, No, she, it's supposed to be Pike. Okay, to me, does that look like Pike to you? I mean, it looks like nope. Kirk. No. Yeah, okay. I thought I was crazy. And then I'm reading the list, and I'm like, wait a minute. Number one never served on the Enterprise with Captain Kirk at the same time. That's very strange. Okay. Uh, next up is the Organians, drawn by Murphy Anderson. I love their pose. What? what? <laughs> completely the pose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just I wish that they looked like the Organians from the episode because they don't. I mean, their their mode of dress is the same, but none of these look like the Organians from the Council. Yeah. But they did they did have uh, you know comic book appearances, so mm. you know there are more Organians than yeah than just the ones in Aaron of Mercy, uh, including some that looked like uh, giant cosmic babies, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the serpent, but yeah, because we talked about this when we talked about the Excalibians uh, in in the previous episodes, the the characters from the Savage Curtain, because there was like an Excalibian Arganian war or conflict in the comics, so they do mention this in the entry. It's nice to see Murphy Anderson here. I think this is his only Star Trek yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of nice to see him included. I, I have to yeah, know you. We got some Kurt Swan, we got some uh, Murphy Anderson. They're bringing some classic artists to bear. Yeah. I I know Rob's disappointed that he didn't get to see Murphy Anderson draw his little sock feet. (laughs) He didn't get to do. Yeah, they gave a guy with sandal, uh, gave Murphy Anderson sandal characters. Sandal, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Asherman really really likes the Organians. He, He mentions them a lot in these entries, and I think he... I think he's trying to fill in gaps, but it just makes them seem. And I know the the peace treaty was a was mentioned again, and but it just seems like he really emphasizes their importance more than than I've kind of read elsewhere and kind of think of it in Star Trek in general myself. But it might just be me. Mm. All right. Yeah, we do we do get some uh, some gratuitous use of Organians in later entries. We'll mention it. <laughs> Gratuitous use of Organians. It's a, <laughs> a great phrase. Uh, all right, next up is Orions. Now, this is going to, for those of you who've been listening to the Who's Who show for the past, my God, five years, uh, I'm about to shock you all. This is a drawing by Todd McFarlane I like. Uh, I really, I think this is good. I really, I think uh, all of his uh, artistic sins uh, are, 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 of good use here with the, the sash that the, the, the slave girl is flying around. We've got the two meanie looking guys. I, it's uh, by McFarlane and Al Gordon. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's sharp. I think it looks good. Yeah. My first note on this entry was this is Todd McFarlane <laughs> because the anatomy is right. 
It's it's not exaggerated or anything. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> but I like how they work in the animated series in this. Uh, although on the animated series they called them the Pirates of Orion for whatever silly oh, yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, but the he males. Say Orion. He says Orion. Yeah, the males are definitely from the cartoon. They're and the I, blue skin and those are uniforms. But what they make clear in this is that. The green women are not Orions. They're a separate race that has been enslaved by the Orions, and then they sell them. Yeah. So, which which jives with the the blue skinned pirates that we've seen, but not so much later on in in the in Star Trek lore because they everyone you know they're all green from a certain point on. It's amazing yeah. to me how much the whole concept of the green Orion slave girl has just, again, it's something else that popped into the culture. Because, I mean, they brought it back for the reboot, too. Right. I mean, she's the green girl. There's something about, the, you know, the green slave girl that just people know, even if they don't necessarily know what it's from. They're, they're just sort of familiar with it. It's made its way into the culture. Mm-hmm. This looks like uh, Yvonne Craig's Marta character, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and there's no other entries from whom God whom God's destroyed in this in this in this series. Oh there's yeah. No, there's no Garth or or anything, which is interesting. Star Trek yeah. had the best titles, man. Their episode titles, jeez, they were really good. I when I was going back and looking at them, I'm like, they are so poetic. And then you get you know not to be mean, but like you get to enter, you get to Star Trek Next Gen, and it's you know the battle. Like, really? The <laughs> battle? That, that's your episode, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, we've got, you know, Errand of Mercy and Whom Gods Destroy, all these. I mean, they're just, like, things of beauty, those titles. Mm-hmm. All right. So next up is Christopher Pike, drawn by, again, Ron Friends, doing another really great job, inked by Bob Smith. I He is the, uh, he looks Jeffrey Hunter-ish. Uh, but he's got the Jeffrey Hunter Captain Pike face, certainly. That scowl. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And so we've got the Serpent, got the Telogian, and, uh, the, the, and you've got talking to number one and Spock in the background. Uh, I love the arms folded. I think it's, it's a really good pose. And we get into the whole history of what happened to him after dealing with the Telogians and the whole thing with uh, the Menagerie. So I think it's, uh, this is quite solid. Yeah, Vina looks good. Number one looks good. They really look like themselves. Ron Friends yep. is really the, the you know the MVP of this uh, of this miniseries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like this because it's not it's not obviously photo referenced. It looks like them, but it also looks like a comic character. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it works really well in the, in this medium. Uh-huh. The weak the weak bit is the 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 top of the serpent. With the kind of smushed Talosian and the like, Pike in that wheelchair is—I don't know. They're, they're, it's like he's in a wheelchair, well, in that blocky mm. object wheelchair, and then there's the Talosian who might as well be in one. Yeah, but if uh, we'll that's get to—that's we'll, the only weak part. We'll we'll get to that later. That actually matches up with the Talosian entry. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I was I was listening to another Star Trek podcast. Sorry, Cisco, and uh, they were talking about this episode, uh, the Menagerie, and they were saying how that if you didn't, you know, when that when it aired, of course nobody knew about the original pilot, but how surreal it must have been to see this alternate Star Trek that you never knew about, 
And I think I had that same experience because I think I didn't see the cage until long after I had seen the menagerie. And I think I kind of remember going, what that? Like my brain hurt that it was flashing back to some other version of Star Trek where like Spock looked different, but he was like, it just didn't. What am I looking at? I don't understand. How did they make this? I think this year was the year that they released it as the cage finally, like on on video. I think it was the 20th anniversary in 86 when they released that. So, yeah, you. I mean, I saw the Menagerie first, too, and I remember, I remember that came out on video, and we, I rented it, and I was like, well, and it had the, it went into, it was color, and then it would go into black and white, because at that time, they hadn't found uh, all the color elements. Now they have, but uh, yeah, it was, it was trippy. It was definitely trippy. Very odd, so... Yeah, absolutely, really solid, solid listening. And, of course, he went on to be played by uh, Bruce Greenwood in the reboots. So, yeah, I've got one, one little thing, one little thing I noticed. It says that he was born near New Orleans, but the Star Trek Encyclopedia says he was born near Mojave. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I thought he said Climate change, about... the, the desert just, you know, expanded until it got to... <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> well, well, I think he says something about when they're in the picnic scene, he says something about this is like where I grew up or something like that. And it does look like a, you know, near a, it's like a glen near a more deserty place, if I recall right. So I don't, I don't know, but it just makes me think, where's Asherman? I know you said it comes from novels different books and things, but some, some of this stuff, it's like, where, where did he get this? You know? <laughs> it's, it's probably from whatever novels he read, because none of that was really regulated. It was, especially with the non major characters like, like Pike and the crew from the cage, the novelists were just able to do whatever the heck they wanted. And if you read only one novel, it was fine. If you read three or four, with those characters, they would contradict each other. Yeah. So there wasn't really a strong editorial hand involved. Based on what Gene just said, I'm going to have an idea. I'm just going to throw it out and blow your minds, guys. A Star Trek novel written by Bob Haney. <laughs> I want to read that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how out of continuity would that have been? He would have had, he would have had Spock get married. Kirk have a son that we never heard of. I mean, just what he just would have thrown in all sorts of stuff. Because what did he care? That would have been fantastic. The Enterprise would have probably just blown up. He just would have done whatever he wanted. That would have been great. That's too bad we yeah. got that. We did get something close. I think Shatner's Captain Kirk novels. <laughs> actually, actually close. something closer even than that is a novel called The Rift. Have any of you ever read that novel? No. Uh, isn't that with Sulu, Captain Sulu in it? No, no. I, I, it, okay. it, it straddles between Pike's Enterprise and Kirk's Enterprise, like like movie Enterprise, to the point where it's 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 a really interesting going back and forth between how everything's working, but it the alien race involved includes one piece of technology, the Illudium Pew thirty six explosive space modulator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blow up the earth. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a Peter David novel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it might. Yeah. yeah. Peter David also had quite a lot of fun with the, you know, he played with the toys more than most novelists. Yes. 
That, that's the novel that explains why the computer sounds like number one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now it can be told. <laughs> Everybody's waiting to hear that story. Uh, okay, so next up is Mark Piper, who, of course, is the second Doctor from uh, the uh, Enterprise. He first appeared on Where No Man Has Gone Before, drawn by Jonathan Peterson and Romeo Tango. We see him interacting with Gary Lockwood there, and uh, we see Spock sort of scowling, and there's a close-up of him. And it gets into the whole detail of what happened to him after the adventure of Where No, Where no Man Has Gone Before, explaining basically what happened to him after he was replaced by... Dr. McCoy. Uh, what, 5'10", 159? Not buying that. That's very skinny. And <laughs> yeah. he does not look skinny here. Uh, yeah, I, this, this was another one of those when I saw... I mean, they ran Star Trek's out of order when I was growing up. And so when they would run this one and it was not Dr. McCoy, it was just another one like, what, what's happening? I don't know who this is. <laughs> it was like that in the original run. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. uh we, we found Gary Lockwood though. There he yeah, is. Looks like him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that that does. You're right. That looks a lot like Gary Lockwood. That's true. <laughs> and this is the entry that gave me a crisis of confidence. Uh be, be, because since the last show I've been saying, well, some of this information, this is the information we don't really know is probably from books, it's probably from Alan Dean Foster's um uh, you know, logs. It's probably from, anyways. So I, I was kind of looking at maybe sources on uh, memory beta. When memory ba- memory beta is just like memory alpha. Memory alpha is like the Star Trek wiki, and memory beta is a wiki for the novels and comics and the non-canon stuff. And they actually, for a number of these entries, reference the who's who as where that information came from so that he went to starfleet academy after this is you know credited to the who's who so it's like what it who's who actually had new information they just invented (laughs) stuff and that's the credit so now i don't know anything anymore (laughs) (laughs) that's a damn shame because who's who is supposed to edify it's not supposed to make things worse that's well, it, it probably ended up because they had to fill space. You know, they they yep. decide to give Mark Piper a full page, and there's not a full page worth of stuff in the one episode he's in. So they had to make it up. Yeah, it's that my my major. Well, we'll get into it, but that is probably my biggest criticism of this is it, it's just lopsided with characters who didn't deserve an entry at all or just a half page. And then characters are like, where's this guy? Where's that guy? You know, we brought that up last time, but this is a prime example. You know, like this guy could have wrote the appendix and we'd been fine. But it's interesting when, when, when you mention it is that most of the art pieces are about the same size. It's not like the original who's who, where you might have a giant picture of a legionnaire with tiny, tiny history, uh, and then a tiny Batman with lots of history. Yeah. Here, you've got almost always the same you know, shape and size of artworks. So you always get the one column of text plus those two little bars underneath or on top. But it's about this, like looking at Christopher Pike and Mike Piper, they've got about the same size art. I wonder if that was done, if the art was done first, and then they said, okay, well, this is how much page you have to write text in, fill it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it's, it, which, that would explain a lot in this. 
this because if you look through all the half pages are the same and all the the one page entries are the same you know it's always the same size of art and size of text and then if you've got a little not enough text or whatever they might add a stripe of um of uh starfleet's yeah starfleet symbols but yeah yeah uh, I this is I don't mean to go off on a tangent because we have a lot of pages to go, but I always wonder like when an actor is in one episode of a show and then they replace him and the show goes on to great longevity and fame, how much are they kicking themselves? Because I mean this act <laughs> this actor uh, who played uh, who played Dr Pepper Paul Fix, I mean he was really close to immortality, uh, and then no. Uh, I have to wonder, does that eat at you? Now, maybe for this particular actor, no, because Paul Fix has 336 credits. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's extraordinary. So, I mean, he certainly never hurt for working. He was in movies like El Dorado, Zabriskie Point, To Kill a Mockingbird. So, I mean, yeah. he, he had a great career. But, I mean, I wonder when you do an episode, like, just not, again, not to get off a tangent, but the actor, there's, there's the different actor in the first episode of MASH plays Father Mulcahy and he's replaced by William Christopher in the third episode. And then it was William Christopher for the next 11 years. Does that actor just kick himself that he was so close to that brass ring? I mean, this Paul Fix could have had gone on forever as Dr. McCoy, you know, as Dr. Piper, but you know, it just didn't work out. I, I, I always wonder about what that life is like. Yeah. Hadn't he just been the rifleman? He's so, been yeah. on the rifleman. He was he was the uh, he's the sheriff or the marshal on the rifleman. Yeah, so he was like in you know I don't know 150 episodes of that. So you know, yeah. so he probably you know for him, he'd just been on a TV show, a long running one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. But Paul Fix especially had probably had no regrets, but uh, it just I always think it's interesting to me that you're so close to being on this thing that renders you immortal, and you know, no, no, we went on to, to Forrest Kelly, you know, that's interesting. Are you saying he's the Pete Best of Star Trek? I, you know, <laughs> I really didn't want to make that comparison, but that's what I was thinking of. It really was. Um, so uh, let's move on to Janice Rand, uh, drawn by, again, Ron Friends, who is showing uh, a really quite, uh, quite uh, good, fide- quite, quite, what's the word I'm trying to say? Showing a lot of skill, let's say, at likenesses, uh, because in the surprint we see Kirk embracing Yeoman Rand, and it looks a lot to me like Grace Lee Whitney. I think he does a great. Yeah. It's, it's inked by Dick Giordano, uh, and for for not a particularly great character, I think this is a very solid listing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. the the only The only problem I would have is in the middle of the surprint where she looks more like Mon Mothma than. <laughs> <laughs> than Janice Rand, but yeah, it's really good, and I like how he captured her likeness in the movie mm-hmm. era, uh, where she was obviously older and a more mature woman, but still looks like Grace Lee Whit- Whitney. The middle shot is is the shock, you know, shock and horror of seeing the uh, transporter malfunction in. <laughs> In your Which, favorite movie, Gene. But uh, she wasn't looking at it. She had turned away when that oh, was no. happening. <laughs> Deleted scene. <laughs> you know, I, I would I would almost uh, argue that that uh, Asherman was kind of trying to whitewash Captain Kirk's history a bit because he didn't 
he he danced around that that Kirk knew that he had a son in David. Uh, the last time we talked about that, and uh, then he he gets rid of his baby with his unborn child with Miramani, but mm. he goes full on into the the very strange affairs of the enemy within and how that would affect uh, Janice Rand because you know. If you really stop and think about that episode, wow. I mean, how could you work with that guy from then on, you know? I yeah, mean, and using this explanation, that makes sense why she left the Enterprise suddenly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that and, you know, getting disappeared by Charlie Evans and having being infected in Miri. And, yeah, that, that would take a toll on you. I, I wouldn't mind going working in some boring transporter job for a while after that. <laughs> Yeah, John Byrne came up with a whole nother reason she uh, had to take care of a an old boyfriend that had been injured or something. That's why she left in one of his little photo, a mini story in a one of his photo comics. Yeah, I still haven't read any of those. The the uh, the first ones especially were really really well done. I really enjoyed them. I I kind of feel like now he's he's cracking them out too quick. I think they've kind of lost a little quality in both story and his. Uh, Photoshop work. Uh, he's he, there's only so many stills and screen grabs you can use, you know. So, mm. <laughs> all right. Next up, uh, Red Jack from Wolf Ooh. in the Fold, drawn by Mark Pasella, who I'm not familiar with, and inked by Klaus Jansen. That's a heavy hitter to bring in Klaus Jansen. <laughs> uh, this is I love this drawing. I mean, there is a lot going on here, and it's really dynamic. Uh, the the the, po- the whole Jack the Ripper thing in the foreground there is terrific. I love the the design of it. I love the colors. I mean, it it's I think it's way more exciting than the episode. I would say in a lot of ways, but boy, it's the listing is I think it's terrific. Yeah, a lot of this uh, visually comes from the comics too, because Red Jack was brought back in the comics where he he essentially wanted revenge. And that's that's why you see in in the Serp, you see the Excelsior heading towards right. the Atari boss Rejack. <laughs> yeah, and we and we see that we mentioned last time that Bryce didn't she didn't have any Red Jack mentioned in her in her entry, but here we learn that you know yes she was possessed by Red Jack, and we see her there standing in front of Scotty. Uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, this is a really sharp. There's a very Mike Mignola uh, vibe about this. It, it's and it's especially strange considering he did Gotham After Gaslight. Uh, this is when Mignola was kind of coming up. So, but it, if you, I, I would almost believe this was him if you didn't tell me just uh, just by glancing at it. So it's kind of odd. Quite a nice listening. Uh, all right, so we have next up. We have Kevin Riley, drawn by Jan Dursima. From the Naked Time, uh, he's got. I really have a kind of a snapper car vibe here from this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Naked it's... Time and the Conscience of the King. It's right. He was in both episodes. <laughs> yeah, it 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 seems like uh, Asherman. I, I thought I've heard before that they kind of thought about making Kevin Riley more of a a permanent character, but the actor wasn't available and. And you kind of get that that he's kind of sneaking that into the entry because he's that perhaps Riley could have become the permanent navigator, but it just things didn't work out or something. It just it did. I, I just could. It just seemed like that maybe he was trying to kind of hint at that or something because 
a lot of fans remember him. You know, he's, he's pretty memorable in the naked time. Uh, so. One more time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I, I have nothing to say on Kevin Riley. So next up, <laughs> let's go. Our first two-page listing, the Romulans, or just Romulans, drawn by Walt Simonson. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a little too much dead space in this listing. I feel weird about criticizing anything Walt Simon has ever drawn. Uh, but there is, I feel like there's space where there's maybe supposed to be some text and there wasn't or something. But the drawing is, I mean, it's by Walt Simonson. Of course, it's terrific. I love the the front, the uh, two characters in the front and then the, the bird of prey or whatever the name of the ship is in the background. And then we got everybody, all the other characters in the serpent. I, it's a terrific listing. Again, it's by Walt Simonson. Of course it is. I believe Warbird is the word you were looking Warbird. for. I'm sorry. Yes, Warbird. Right. No, no, uh, no. <laughs> that that's the one from next gen. This is the the one from Balance of Terror was a bird of prey. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the one the one weirdness I I found in the century was that the Romulans were taken from Vulcan by the preservers, yeah. which I don't remember at all. That's from the Paradise Syndrome. That's the people is that drop Miramani's. Uh, uh, people there on the planet, the, the Native yeah. Americans. Well, I, I know who the preservers were, but I thought that the Romulans and the Vulcans had a split on their own. Oh, yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. You okay. know, the, the Romulans said, Sarek, screw you, we like our emotions, we're getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought that, too. Yeah. So yeah, I, the, I, the, the planets are named differently, too. We got Romulus and Remus, and and all our official Star Trek text, which I know that's kind of corny. Why in the world would they name them? Have planets named Romulus and Remus? But well, maybe that's the the these are the Romulan names for them, and that's the what they translate to in English. Oh, okay, so there you go. There's your no prize. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it mentions in the uh, Bob Greenberger's editorial in the front that Walter Simonson specifically asked for this to do this listing. So he obviously is, uh, I guess he's a truckie, uh, and he's a big fan of the Romulans in particular because he asked to do this one. What's uh, what's this design on the, the back, the, the last page in the upper right corner, the man and the woman? That's that's very uh, Simonson looking, that design anyway. Yeah, I don't re- recall where that, that comes from because it, you never saw armor like that in the series or in the comics from what I remember. Yeah, that looks like very Simonson. The star, that looks... the, the star Slammers have made their way into this listing somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up is Savick, everyone's favorite, drawn by Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein. Uh, I am a defender of Robin Curtis as, <laughs> as Savick. Uh, so am I. I'm right there oh, with okay, you. Okay, <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, and this is clearly modeled off, off of Robin Curtis. I mean, of course, you know, she played the role. She only did it the two times, right? She's never has she ever been back as Savick after Star Trek Four? No, no, that was it. Okay, they were going to use her in Star Trek Six, but right, they right. changed it. <laughs> right. So I mean, it's it's made by, based off of Robin Curtis. Uh, we see her in Kirk and her in Baby Spock, and uh, there with uh, David. Uh, I mean, he gets the. This is one of the times where you know the ramrod straight pose is completely appropriate because this is a very Savick pose. So uh, I, I like it. I liked Savick. Um, you know, I, do, what, what is, does everybody like, 
I mean, I guess I understand why she doesn't go along on the mission in Star Trek Four because there's just no space for her, really. But uh, I, you know, I would have been actually, you know, I. Now that I'm saying it, if she had gone along with Star Trek Four, she would have been in Star Trek Six, and she would have been the the betrayer. And I wouldn't want to have seen that. So I guess in the end, it's all good that she stayed on Vulcan. She was supposed to be pregnant, so right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and 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 she takes a leave of absence according to this entry. So I think Asherman was playing it safe and saying, well, they might pick that storyline up in the next movie, so maybe I better better just uh, you know. Make sure I mention that she took a leave of absence. <laughs> you know? But not specify yeah, because, it because he's got that anti-pregnancy agenda. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Star Trek Four was still fresh on everyone's minds, and no one knew what was coming next. Right. Probably, thankfully. But <laughs> it, uh, you had to leave it open because you never knew what was going to happen, and this series of comics was actually, they were in that middle ground trying to figure out what the storyline was going to be. And we'll see that much later with the, uh, one of the ship entries, but they managed to weave it back in. So this is, I mean, it's not only leaving it open for the future movie, but also for future comic stories to be told. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of the comic stories, while I am a Robin Curtis uh, defender as well, uh, I think the uh, the comics made a lot of use of you know the previous Savick. That, that that's what she looked like in the original comic series. So not to have her, I know I mean, it would have been weird to have both in the entry. I understand, but at the same time, it's kind of I don't know, I'm kind of I kind of miss it. But once once they were. Once they cast Robin Curtis in Star Trek Three, they, they started morphing it. her in the yeah. comics. It wasn't just a straight switch out. They morphed from Kirstie Alley to Robin Curtis over the course of time. Mm. So it, it 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 made sense to have this one in because this is where she ended up in the comics. Yeah, I what understand we, the move. It's what, what do we what do we think about the fact that she was raised by Spock's parents? That's something I wasn't aware of. Oh yeah, that's something that. I knew that they had in the comic series, I think it was also from a novel. I think okay. maybe the Star Trek II novelization, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay, okay. I figured it had to come from, from somewhere else. But that that you know, that increases that connection quite a bit beyond just you know, I mean it's essentially his adopted sister. I mean, uh so that's uh that's something you don't really get in the movie. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. I know the comics no. The comics did, uh, you know, confirm the, uh, the the Romulan heritage, which the, the movies never actually did. But yeah, the comics also had a fiance for her. She actually mm. went went through. She was getting to the point where she was going to go through the Faltorpan, mm. or not not Faltorpan, Kuna Kalifi. Right. Get my Vulcan ceremonies mixed up. <laughs> Damn it, Gene. Uh, the one reason I was on, I mess it up. I know. Uh, yeah, this this listing ends with the quote: "Tolerance is logical." I think those are good words to live by. So, thank you, Savick. Uh, next up is Sarek, drawn by John Byrne. Uh, this is a spitting image of Mark Leonard, or Mark Leonard, I guess, however you say it. Uh, we see him touching fingers with his wife. We see him interacting with the aliens. There's the, the, the little drawing of Kirk. To me, is spot on as Shatner. 
this is a great listing. It is tough to do the whole body parts cut off kind of thing and by the listing. It's tough to make that work. But he does by getting rid of all the detail in the legs. It just sort of fades off into the into the serpent. I think this is a terrific listing. And I've always loved this character. The scene between Sarek and Spock at the end of Star Trek Four never fails to get me just a little like a little emotional. I think it's such a beautiful scene and those two actors play it so wonderful. So I, I have such I have a real soft spot for Sarek. Yeah, me too. Uh, everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> when when they're in yeah. that, I don't mean to go on and on about it, but in that that scene where where he talks about you know my judgment may have been incorrect. Your your shipmates are people of good character, and Spock says they are my friends. And Sarah, and he's oh yeah, he's so awkward about it. It's a, of course. Yeah, it's, Mark, yeah. Mark Lenard, It's my one of my favorite moments. Yeah, he puts yeah. this slight pause, and yes, of course. It just the yeah, way he says it. Oh, it's I just love it. Yeah, yeah that, he says he says they're fr- is his friends, and that is you know an emotional. <laughs> it's an emotional comment that makes him really embarrassed. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, the, the the I just love the character. They really used the character Sarek well in the movies. I mean, every time they didn't use him a lot, but when they used him. They really used him well, and and part of that was because of Mark Leonard. But they they used him just enough. It's like, oh, good Starks here, you know. <laughs> it was a treat, you know, when he when he come on the screen. You were happy to see him. Yeah, his scene in Star Trek Three is terrific too. In Kirk's quarters, that's you know, I mean, he just drives the whole story. So he's pretty uh, emotional for a non emotional Vulcan. <laughs> well, we we as we know when he's speaking of his son, his. his, his, his <laughs> Logic's, exactly. Logic's not straight. Yeah, no, I think this is terrific. I mean, Byrne asked to do this one, and I think much like the Harry Mudd, you can just see the love of this. This is, I think, this is just terrific. Agreed. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, we're we're in a real streak here because next up is Montgomery Scott, dressed drawn two pages drawn by the great Gray Morrow. And when you're talking Gray Morrow, it means you are going to get photo realistic spitting images. Of the actors, we see him there in the the main image, uh, and then we see him with McCoy. Uh, I'm sorry, McCoy with Chekhov. We see a nice and a little close up of him. We see him playing the bagpipes. Uh, we see him in his motion picture uniform. That's for Eugene. We see him with a, <laughs> having some drinks with Kirk and McCoy. Uh, we see him at uh, Spock's funeral, and then we see young, thinner Scotty as well. Uh, it's a terrific listing and I mean obviously completely deserving he's one of the main characters of the series deserves two pages he's done a lot great job great great job yeah I, I think it's interesting that that uh, he's got Scotty covering up his right hand uh, because <laughs> James, yes James Doohan famously was missing his middle finger from his right hand and they hit it like crazy on at least the TV series so uh, now he draws it in on other on the other page on the other page, uh, but yeah, I think I just thought as soon as I saw that, I'm like he's covering up his hand. I wonder if he did that on purpose or it was just a happy accident. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that he's drawing his right hand in every other image, I think it's it was just a happy accident, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that it's great that I mean the entry is wonderful. You get a terrific picture of Scotty both drawing and in the text the only problem is 
the copy editor kind of didn't read it. <laughs> if if you look on page twenty one, the first the first one, it's the second paragraph under his history goes into Scotty as a quote, and then it goes into something completely different. It it's they repeated a sentence. Yeah. So it it just I read it. And I'm like, wait a second. What's going on here? He's suddenly talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> Brenda Pope, where are you? <laughs> Not here. <laughs> but the uh, image is actually, I like it better than the, that what Morrow did on, uh, on Bones. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's terrific. What is this? It's scene? really great. What is the scene he's quoting, uh, in the, the, the image with Chekhov? I think it, I think it's from Star Trek three, but I don't think Scotty's wearing that outfit when he does that. I think because I feel like that's the scene where they look at the they notice that the Spock's quarters have been violated because right. they, they, that's when Chekhov does the nouveau. You know, the, he says that thing, and Scotty's like, "What?" But he's not wearing his. I don't think he's wearing that engineer's outfit in that scene, or maybe I'm wrong. No, I think he inserted that engineer's outfit because there was nowhere else to draw it. Okay. He was trying to get every single look Scotty had except for the vest. The vest is in the close-up, and you just barely see it. Okay. My one minor nit was I would have kind of liked to have seen young Scotty in the Jeffries tube. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's his thing, you know. <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah, it's a terrific listing. It's terrific, terrific. Like I said, great Morrow is great. Great, great artist, and he did such a nice job here. So, um, next up, Gary Seven by George Perez. Of course, he's the character from Assignment Earth, and we also see his sidekick played by Terry Gar on that show in the background. Uh, I mean, I I think this is a terrific listing. George George Perez, of course, it is. I think if George Perez wanted to do wanted to be really meta, he would have used stock art in the background. I think that might have been an appropriate <laughs> tribute to Assignment <laughs> Earth. <laughs> But uh, either that or he had to put Spock in his little sun hat in the Serpent. I'm disappointed we don't see that. But uh, I think this is a terrific listing. I I really like Assignment Earth as an episode. I can't justify it because it, it's not particularly great, but I love it. And I probably would have watched an Assignment Earth TV show if they had made it. But I, I, I kind of also understand why they didn't, why it didn't really fly, but... Uh, I don't know. Am I in, am I alone in this? In liking that? Episode? Well, it's it's interesting that you would say that because here's the part where I plug uh, the um, uh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> Outside in boldly goes, which is a book of essays about each of the Star Trek episodes, uh, the classic series, the animated series, and the films. Every everything with the original cast. Uh, there's one essay per story, one writer her essay uh, and I contributed to the my essay is about assignment earth where oh, wow. each yeah e- the thing is it's it's now available you can order it now at uh, atbpublishing.com but um, stop it cat I'm sorry you got a cat problem the so she turned into a woman too yeah no, was, this one's male so I don't want to see him transform okay so the uh, yeah, so so my my pitch for it, it's, it's like each of the essays is supposed to take a strange angle, you know, an odd angle, like an unpopular opinion or perhaps um, 
uh, just a, a different way to, to look at the, the, the thing. Anyway, so what I did with Assignment Earth, spoiler, is that I made like Assignment Earth did go to, like the, the backdoor pilot did go to series, and it became the, the famous thing where, <laughs> where Star Trek basically uh, season two ended with Assignment Earth and then was not uh, renewed. So Star Trek has become a sort of, uh, you know, lost artifact of the 60s. And Assignment Earth is today having movies and conventions. And so I, I kind of played with, well, let's look back at that weird backdoor pilot of the series we know so well. Uh, and, you know, and how the Star Trek elements are really, you know, intrusive. <laughs> what, what, what are these strange characters from an old series we've forgotten. So that's what, how I played with it. So, so I did imagine Assignment Earth as a series. And I'm not the only one. John Byrne did the same with uh, at IDW. There's a, an Assignment Earth uh, series that kind of plays with the idea that what if this thing went on for several years uh, and does plots for, for it across, across uh, time, you know, going through the up to the 70s and maybe later, I think. So um, it has captured the imagination of some. You're not alone. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to know that. I, 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 just, I have a real soft spot for this, even though, like I said, I can't justify it because I know it's not a great episode. I think Robert Lansing is just way too stern to be your lead. It just seems kind of humorless. I mean, I mean, maybe he would have grown into the role if they had done more with it, you know, more than just this one episode, but I, yeah. I don't know, like I said every time I see it, and I just watched it recently, I'm just I'm just sort of charmed by it, I like the effect of him going through that smoke screen, I think that's cool I like all the props, I don't know I just I just dug it uh, I, Terry Gar. Terry Gar, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy the whole thing as, as long as she would have got to work on Young Frankenstein in addition to doing this series, I'm good I'm, yes. it, can, go. it can go to series there you go, yep. <laughs> Gene, what did you think of this one? I I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, the only nitpick I have with the image is I would have liked the computer to look more like the computer in the episode. Mm. There's more bits and bobs on this than there was there. And I, I understand it's Perez. He likes to put tech in where he can, but it's just a little off. I mean, the the image on the top, the window looking at the, the rocket launch is that's the view screen from that computer. But other than that, this, this is great. And uh, I would have like you, I enjoy the episode. The only thing I can't get around in it is that they purposely went back in time to that period. Cause every other time they went backwards in time, it was an accident. And to, to just to go back in time on purpose to that exact time. And then in Star Trek four, well, we got to really crunch the numbers here. We don't know how to do this. Wait a second. <laughs> you knew how to do it way back then. Breaks the format. <laughs> and also gratuitous Organian mention <laughs> at the end of the century. Yes. Thanks. We, yeah. we, we said we'd mention it. Uh, there's a Kirk's report on uh, on this episode that says the Organians probably know of that world, the world where Gary Seven, uh, you know, trained, uh, and his people. But if they do, they're not likely to discuss their knowledge with us. See Organians, <laughs> and why bring it up? <laughs> they're the uh, they're the Omega Men of this particular series. 
way too many, way, way too many listings. Yeah, I th- I really dig this. I think it's terrific. George Perez obviously wanted to do it. Uh, I think it's. I mean, you look at this key art and you're like, boy, sell this as a series. You know, like this. The if if, if this is your art, I'll book it. Where I'll book I'll book thirteen and then a back nine. This is I'm ready to go. This looks really good. So, uh, once again, Gene's penchant for mentioning uh, in the we mentioned privately about the the height and weight six three one fifty seven. Yeah, really? no way. One fifty seven and six three. Stick. Eat a sandwich, Gary. Come on. Because yeah. I'm 6'3", and I'm a beanpole, and I weigh like 190. So. Yeah, wow. Yeah, 157. Absurd. That is crazy. So, uh, okay, unfortunately, our good streak can, stops here with a, with a, with a real thud. Uh, oh, not Marshall. A, a real Shaw by Ken <laughs> Penders and Dennis Jensen. That's a half page. And then Elizabeth Sherwood by Kurt Swan and Joe Rubenstein. <sighs> I, okay, whatever. I, I, <laughs> I don't I, care about either one of these characters. Can we just not talk about our real Shaw? We have spent enough time on court martial. I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I just want to say one thing about it. This entry just reaffirms in that episode why she should not have been the prosecutor. <laughs> she says in the entry... I was hoping I would lose. <laughs> lady. Conflict of interest from top to bottom. And also a much more beautiful woman on, on the on the show. Uh, you know, this, this picture doesn't do her justice at all. That is yeah. not Shaq. She's with there. I, I don't know who that is. That looks like Jerry Reed. <laughs> Son! <laughs> Captain Kirk is eastbound and down. <laughs> And then Liz Sherwood is an even more minor character than uh, who was before. Uh, yeah, she appeared in Star Trek one, number one and then lasted all the way through and yet had nothing ever you know, to do. She was just a blonde and bland Nancy Bryce, basically. Uh, but in number 46, she finally gets something to do. I checked. Uh, they sort of tried to tease a romance with Bear Claw. The, the jerk of the series. And uh, well, that never went anywhere either. So, ugh, I mean, this is just like the character they sat down at the at the console uh, driving the ship and that had nothing ever to do. So basically, you know, like many, uh, you know, replacement substitute drivers on uh, TNG or whatever, That's that was her role. I mean, totally forgettable. Yeah, she she's ensign background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, all right. Next, uh, and this 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 one makes me sad uh, because uh, this is to me the first of the of the magnificent seven listings that to me is not good. This is Spock by Tom Sutton uh, and uh, Pablo Marcus, and I to me the pose is boring. It doesn't look anything like Nimoy. Uh, the figure is too small. Uh, I just there's nothing about this artwork that I like. I think the the text for the listing is perfectly fine. It certainly gets into all the details. Uh, you know, I mean, he is you know he's uh, he's with Kirk, the two big characters of the series. But I just don't think this is a particularly dynamic series of images, and that's sad considering that Spock is one of the great characters of fiction. The art looks like it came out of Mad Magazine. 
Oh it's, yeah. It's just too cartoony for this. And are we sure this is the same artist throughout? Because the thickness of Spock's chin changes multiple times throughout this. I mean, especially on the first the the first one, the side view where he's mind melding McCoy, it looks like you you could sew something with his chin. It's that thin. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Ooh, yeah, that chin is weird looking. Very weird yeah. looking, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of panels where it looks dead on Nimoy, but then the rest of them are just really rough. And I mean, that's the kind of problem I had with the DC Star Trek comic is the art was just very inconsistent. You know, they, they like, I think we mentioned this last time, but you get a, a really nice portrait of, of Shatner's Kirk. And then the next page, who's this curly headed guy? We're, that doesn't look like him. And we kind of had that a little bit with Kirk's entry, the main figure of him didn't really look like Shatner all that much, but then there was that great portrait of him, that close up up in the corner, but we don't get that with, with Spock. I mean, I don't even know what we're looking at here with Sarek and Amanda. I mean, is it, is it they renew their vows or something? I mean, what? The, you know, why are we, why are we seeing this? You know, there's so yeah. many other great scenes to show. Some of it is really Gonzo. Like on the second page, Spock. I, I guess this is Spock uh, teaching at the academy, and everybody's got like super long legs and tiny torsos, and <laughs> it's a very weird image. Uh, but like I said last time, Tom Sutton, really good with sort of like horror material, kind of, you know, comics like Squalor and Hacker Files, where it works. Doing likenesses, mm, not so much. Let me ask you this. What would you guys have thought if Kurt Swan drew the Star Trek comic, like on a regular basis? Would that have would have been. Helped? <laughs> I I don't know, I don't know. Rob maybe. thinks I'm setting him up. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, was he too busy? <laughs> see, I was reading the comic more for the the writing than for the art because I knew that there was it, it wasn't going to be faithful all the time. Uh, right. I, I learned that from reading the Star Wars comic, so I was I was kind of used to that. So I was just reading it for the storylines more than anything else. And I don't know, Kurt Swan on in the mid to late eighties. I don't know. Yeah, I think it would have been more. He might not have got the the likeness ever down like some of the panels were, but I think it would have been more consistent. Right. I don't you, think you would, he would have had that weird one page of the next who is this character, you know. Yeah. The I don't have a photo for this pose, so I'm just gonna draw something. Right. Yeah. I find it interesting that it references all the events of Star Trek Four in one sentence. Where <laughs> his subsequent retraining, including an acceptance of his human side during a trip to the twentieth century. That's it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> that's it. That's that's all that happened in Star Trek Four. <laughs> Oh, no. well, the, the the takeaway for me on this is that Tapau is his aunt. Yeah, I I never knew that they were actually related like that. I thought they were like she was a family friend or something. But in the personal data, Tapau aunt. There's what? apparently only one family on Vulcan. Well, it seems like that's inconsistent because I think with Sarek they say one of these entries says they're like like cousins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the. 
I don't know if it was the Sarek entry or the Vulcan entry, but yeah, it was, it's weird. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, and, and like we said, we get the entry for Czar, the son of, of uh, him and Zara Beth from the, the novels, the, the, the Crispin novels. And that's really weird. <laughs> that's accepted as canon here. That's really strange. And uh, well, that's that's Spock pretty much. It's kind of a shame. I wish they found a way to pull out another winner, but okay, what can we do? Uh, next up are Star Bases uh, by Ken Penders and Dennis Jensen. Uh, this is just a listing of a bunch of all the different Star Bases. It's a pretty, you know, there's some fun looking stuff here. I mean, a lot of it is the d- designs taken from all the various matte paintings you see of Star Trek over the years and goes to Star Base 11, Star Base 27. Uh, it's, you know, it's fine. It's a it's a dutiful listing. It's you know the, the original who's who didn't do a whole lot of these, but they had to do them every so often. Atlantis or whatever. So it's it's pretty much just this is more informational than I would say entertaining. It just gives you this background as to you know what, where all these characters are running around. All right, <laughs> next. <laughs> that was easy enough. Starfleet. This is what we're all here for, I guess. Is this whole thing Starfleet? Uh, this is drawn by again Ken Penders. He got all the fun stuff. And Danny Bulandi, and this gets into I the the you see the uh, the dock the uh, that looked that looked really complicated to draw the uh, space dock, mm-hmm. all the webbing. Holy crap! I would not want to have to draw that. And then we see Starfleet Academy, and he gives a little bit of history and some cutaways as to what's going on there. Uh, I love the one detail of the uh, I can't the the training sphere and the guys floating in. In zero G, I just find yeah. it really funny. Those guys are like, "Whoa!" Very <laughs> funny. Which so, comes into play in the animated series, the episode Jihad. Right? Mm. Kirk actually says to Spock, "How are you on your zero G combat?" And they actually do zero G combat. It's so they worked it in here. We got that in Star Trek Beyond. So. <laughs> It's true, so, yeah. But nice. this is this this one's pretty hard to read. I mean, the uh, the text on the actual map is yeah, is very hard often read, yeah. yeah. I had to like uh, zoom in on a scan because I I can't read my issue and I'm I'm afraid I need like different glasses. Uh, but I just I noticed there was text there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> it would be nice yeah. if it had like a white box around it so you yeah. could make yeah. it out, but it just blends in too much. But I was surprised to find uh, things like the Hall of Worship because uh, Star Trek is so uh, secular usually. So, yeah. you know, uh, but the so that church has a Star of David and a cross, but it's also got the Idic symbol, which is <laughs> kind of rotated sixty degrees. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, you know, position. They've got a. Uh, is, does that read the number twenty-five? Does that read like the Challenger Memorial? So they've got. Or Challenger Seven is that what it says? I can't quite read. Yeah, it, was it like, does. I was, Challenger I was Seven tra- Memorial. So hmm. yeah, I was I was wondering if you know Challenger uh, exploded in you know within a year of this comic coming out, but it's right. not Challenger Seven, right? Is it? It was just a Challenger. There wasn't a number on it. Was was there? No, uh, not the ship. Uh, but I believe there were seven astronauts. Ah. Yeah, the Challenger Seven. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's like that's really kind of topical for uh, and uh, you know on you know to to have that 
hundreds of years in the future, that's one of the memorials that are here, along with one for Yuri Gagarin one, and like for the, the Romulan Federation War. Those are the memorials that we see. So I thought that was interesting, uh, certainly. Yeah. So I, I think the uh, it's Gene, they got your uh, shot from the motion picture on the first page there as you're coming down the the little yep. stairs there. <laughs> ah, Commander Sonak, you've received your orders to report to the Enterprise. <laughs> yes. M- move on, or I will start quoting the whole movie. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're definitely moving on. Okay, Starships. Uh, this is a series of all the ships we've been talking about. It's the Excelsior class, the Enterprise class, the Reliant class, the Cater class, Dreadnought class, and Federation class, drawn by Arn Starr. Uh, you know, pretty straight ahead, literally, uh, in some cases, um, you know, pretty basic stuff, but it looks sharp. It's the no yeah. hot move entry. <laughs> Is this hot or not? It's just quite, uh, well, it's, it's odd. For one th- well, I mean the, like the first three ships on the first page, we all recognize these. No problem. The other page has a various, uh, like two of them have three nacelles, uh, and these are all fictional. I mean, the 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 dreadnought class, for example. And again, this is one of those entries where uh, memory beta says uh, you know, reference who's who number two. It's what? No, 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 no. Reference yeah, exactly. Ron it's... Friends. <laughs> the dreadnought came out of the Ron Friends technical manual. Okay, yeah. That makes more sense. They just it, updated it to the new the movie era look. Right, with the, the, the different nacelles. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it still had three the dreadnought had three nacelles in that tech manual. It just looked like the original series nacelles. Okay, cool. I, I you know, that's one of the entries that made me question my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the classes in the drawing don't match the classes in the text cuz you got enterprise class that should be constitution class. Well, no. <laughs> the the refit enterprise was it was, it was alternately named constitution refit or enterprise class. Oh, okay. Because okay. it was considered a whole new class because there were so many changes. What doesn't match up is that it says that the Reliant was a galaxy class. Oops. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to a, a Star Trek podcast, Mission Log, actually, and they hmm. were talking about Star Trek three and they were sort of commenting they thought it was interesting that Scotty was so anti reliant and that he was sort of like an old fuddy duddy when they said you would think he would be, you know, really interested in new technology. But am I crazy? I never got that sense. I it wasn't that I never thought that he was against new technology, is that he had because he's Montgomery Scott, he had particular knowledge of how Reliant was built and he thought Reliant was a piece of junk. Not so much New technology was not worth pursuing. You mean Excelsior? I'm sorry, Excelsior. Not Reliant, Excelsior. Yeah, of course, (laughs) Excelsior. That it was Excelsior was particularly a piece of junk. Am am I crazy to think that? I I don't. I I don't get the sense that Scott, Mr. Scott, is. You know, it's Enterprise or bust. I think that he was just. uh, He didn't see how it could live up to the hype. Because when Kirk says, you know, the great experiment, and yeah, and Scott, yeah, right, whatever. (laughs) I built this ship. I know how it works. 
that cannot be that much better than this. Okay. All right. I yeah, think he straight. probably took it personal too because we got to remember Scotty started a fight with Klingons when they insulted the Enterprise. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And it was like a transwarp drive. So it was, it was like a different type of engine as well. I mean, it, it was that's the great experiment. Not, you know, not so much that it was like a giant ship. So it's the Edsel. It's the you know, it's, it was a big. <laughs> <gun>. <laughs> Uh, okay, so next up we have Hukaru Sulu, uh, the last, I think, oh no, not the last, but almost the last of the big big guys, again drawn by Tom Sutton and Pablo Marcus, who did the Spock one. I think this one's a little more successful uh, than the Spock one. Uh, I like the uh, the second pose, is him shirtless with his, doing his D'Artagnan bit, I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> we see him in the chopper from Star Trek IV, uh, we see him uh, commanding the Enterprise there, driving along, uh, we see him canoodling. Uh, with uh, the aforementioned uh, character we had before. We've seen him on the bridge talking with Kirk. Uh, it, it's not great, but it's not it's not as uh, not as unfortunate as the Spock one. Right. I don't know what that last panel is. That's the only thing. What are we What are we looking at there? That <laughs> uh, second page. I'm not uh, th- sure. That that's Sulu working in the uh, the botany lab. Oh, okay. Because okay. because it, it actually goes into how he. It's it's kind of weird the hoops it has to go through because well he was a pilot and did all this and then when somebody got lost on an away mission well then he became a botanist for yeah. a, a year and went back to piloting that's not how you work in the navy I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I thought stuff was exploding I didn't get that that was uh, plant life but now I, I guess I can kind of see that it looked like stuff was blowing up everywhere okay. No, right. it's like the ferns and stuff in the background. Gotcha, yeah. It mentions okay. here that uh, that Sulu was single uh, when, uh, well, I mean, we find out, of course, in Star Trek Generations that he has a daughter. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's not single, of course, but it doesn't, of course, you know, that character was introduced later on. It doesn't make any mention of his daughter. Right. But, of course, we don't want to get into anything involving Generations, so. <laughs> <laughs> not if we can avoid it. Yeah, not if we can avoid it. So, uh, does anybody have any particular uh, love of this listing one way or the other? It's not bad. I think the Takai uh, likeness is, is fairly decent throughout. You know, it's it's not, it's certainly better than Spock, which is unfortunate. Because, I mean, not that I don't want Sulu to have a good entry, but, you know, come on. Who's more important in the grand scheme of things? Spock, so. Mm, yeah, I guess. But Sulu is my favorite original series character. So, yeah, I'm happy happy to have him have a good entry, of course. Yes. I'm sure, Chris, I'm sure Cindy enjoys the shirtless. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) She knows she does. (laughs) Talk about barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) (laughs) And here it's another another context as well. There's other fencers in the back, so he's, Mm -hmm. like, training them. And just going short shirtless right. for fun. He doesn't have to be. <laughs> if I looked like that, I'd be going shirtless whenever I possibly could. <laughs> You're not, Gene? You're doing a lot of running. I see that on my fitness pal all the time. I, I assumed you were built like this at this point. Running does not build abs. <laughs> Damn it. That's what I'm getting wrong. No one. All right. I've been, I've been misinformed. Um, all right. Next up is the USS Surak, drawn by Todd McFarlane and Al Gordon. Um, 
it's I'm I'm gonna not go completely back on my Todd McFarlane dismissal. It, it's okay. The only thing I don't like is his little drawing of Spock's face. I don't know. There's something about that that I really don't like. You mean um, Mo Howard with the pointy ears? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. That's Maybe. a chop head. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, and I'm completely unfamiliar with uh, the, the. I mean, the Star, I've, as I've said, the Star Trek series. Who, who, this bird character, Tomari. Yeah, yeah, Tomari. <laughs> yeah. What is that about? What is the oh, who's the bird character? I mean, uh, I see was, the name, but I don't really know who that is. He was one of the scientists that was on the Sorak. Doctor Doctor Chu Chusa Chusi. Yeah. It says. Because the Sorak was main, the idea behind it is that it was more of a science ship than like the Enterprise would have been, and they didn't want to have to transport between two hulls, which is why they didn't use a Grissom model. And the I, so Spock was put in charge of it because he's a scientist and he's a, a captain, and they went from there. And unfortunately, in order to match up with Star Trek Four. They had to undo Spock's brain working again, and they apparently didn't want to pick up the, any of these characters ever. So they did a Superman and threw the ship into the sun. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Spock is the only one that survives the the virus, but it resets him. It's yeah. I remember this as uh, really a lot of wasted potential. Yeah, I thought. They, I, I like the storyline. I I wish it could have kept going, but obviously it couldn't. Isn't uh, Serac is is he first mentioned in Star Trek Two with that scene with Doctor Marcus where he says you'll be mentioned in the same breath as Einstein, Newton, Serac? They always do oh, that. Two, two, Serac two, is two, in the uh, two real Savage one. Savage oh oh, okay. Savage oh wow okay. <sighs> I haven't seen Serac. Very water. Long time. Okay. Help me, yeah. Spock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, I forgot about all that. Jeez. All the right. guy that goes on to play the vampire in the Night Stalker. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He's Vulcan, sir. Uh, I mean uh, Lincoln, basically. Oh, right. 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 Okay. Yeah. I'll go back yeah. and watch that. All right. But he doesn't get an entry. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Neither does Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln doesn't get an entry. <laughs> no uh, space Lincoln. <laughs> first appearance, sixteenth president of the United States. Uh, our next up are the Telosians by Bill Ray. I really like Bill Ray as an artist. I think he's a terrific cartoonist. He's done a lot of great things. This is not one of them. No. <laughs> but this is, part, this is where I um, mentioned that back in the Pike entry, it actually matches up with this. Because even though you see the two tall Telosians over there, it mentions them being short. It says small humanoids, and that's what you see in the Pike entry and in this entry where Pike, I guess that's Pike, is bending down to talk to the Oompa Loompa, I mean Telosian there. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't match the episode at all and also doesn't match the other part of this drawing. So I don't know what was going on. No one was talking. No. The, the scene with the Klingon torturing Pikes from the... Star Trek Annual Number Two, which was the the final voyage of the first five year mission. So that uh, I actually talked about that on uh, Palace of Glittering Delights with Andy Leyland. So one and, and two, yeah. and that annual had much better artwork than this. Yeah, Dan Jurgens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did any of you guys watch Mystery Science Theater? 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, why, why, Gene? Don't be so hesitant. It's okay. Uh, when they introduce in season eight, the first sci-fi season, where they introduce the brain guys, who, who carry yeah. their brains in a in a pan. I can't help but think that they're not supposed to be there. I mean, obviously, Mystery Science Theater took a lot of influences and put them in a blender and and then did their own mixture. But to me, I can't see the brain guys and not think the Telosians because they just have that same haughty. You know, we're smarter than you are, but we carry our brains because we don't need our bodies, even though they have bodies. I mean, they're just like these absurd, really snide aliens that are lording it over humans and stuff. And I can't I can't look at the Telogians and not think the brain guys from Mr. <laughs> the Telogians uh, are always interesting because like the Metrons, it's it's a uh, they're, they're women that are right, kind of right. you know, dressed to look somewhat androgynous you know so it's it's kind of interesting whenever you see somebody draw them which this is you know they look like the second picture of them here where their little heads are floating above the torture scene they look like todd mcfarland's version of the leader from the hulk yeah those heads are really yeah oh the more they use their powers the bigger their brains get apparently i guess there we go okay uh all right well that's this logist next up is Jill, Dr. Jillian Taylor, drawn by Colleen Doran. I think this is a terrific listing. It looks a lot like Catherine Hicks. Uh, I, I've said this uh, before in, in other cases. I totally would have, been up, would have been up for a Dr. Jillian Taylor space whale expert series. I, I really liked her in Star Trek IV, and I think it would have been fun. I love that the last time you see her, at least in live action, is going off to the science vessel. Uh, I think it's terrific. I think, and I really like Colleen, Colleen Doran's artwork. I think this is well designed. It's a I think, really sharp listing. Yeah, I, re- I really like this too. It's. I wish he'd done more in uh, in this Star Trek series, the Who's Who series. Yeah, the the art is good. The entry, not so much. The en- all the entry does is quote the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you really don't get any more information out of it. Yeah, it makes you think he was probably close to the deadline as the Star Trek Four. He was getting all the information he could out of them because there's so we we talked about that last time. There's so there's like a sentence here and there about Star Trek Four. Sometimes you even see images from it and there's no mention of it. So you know, it just makes you wonder how much he knew when you know. I mean, I'm sure he knew the basics of it, but. Yeah, this this seems like he's writing it from the press materials. <laughs> yeah, the la- the last line yeah. of the the last line of the entry is I've got three hundred years of catch up learning to do. It doesn't mention the smooch see around the galaxy, but that's pretty much that's pretty much her final scene in the movie, and then that's it. Mm. I was very happy that she was brought back in the Star Trek graphic novel that Adam Hughes uh, did. Mm, yeah. Yeah, because I, I always liked her. I don't necessarily like her as a love interest for, for Kirk. Mm. But I like this character quite a bit. I like that she's the one woman that left Kirk, you know, let, that she walked away from him and he was just kind of like, I didn't get the girl. <laughs> well, you, an argument can be made for Carol Marcus for that, too. Well, that's true, yeah. You know, but uh, which which graphic novel are you referring to, um, Rob? Because there was there... Dead of, she was also brought back in Dead of Honor by Chris Claremont. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking. Wasn't that drawn okay. by Alan Adam Hughes? Yeah, I think so. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we're all talking about the same one. Yeah. Yes. I was really yeah. happy to see her. I I think a character transported into the future as an expert on the one. Like I think that's a great idea that she's an expert on the one thing that's 
that the 21st century isn't used to is these whales. I, I first of all, I'd like to find out how they repopulate the species with just two whales, but uh, that's all the whole other problem. But uh, I, I don't know. I just thought there was. I thought Catherine Hicks is so winning in Star Trek Four. I mean, I, I just will never say anything bad about Star Trek Four in any case ever. But I think she's so good in the role and so unusual. Where her line reads are just different and the way she interacts she fits in so well with the the, the crew uh I, I i know it sounds like i'm being i really would have watched a series if they have done that because i think it i think i think she was a great character and a great premise and it's left sort of dangling that we never see her again i always find it a little frustrating but also sort of enticing that we see her give that smooch to kirk and then she's off and, and she's off on her own adventures what a great what an amazing life to go live in the future who wouldn't want to do that you could have got a cameo over in Star Trek VI when Kirk was on trial, you know, like her reaction to, you know, what's going on or have her involved somewhere, you know, just to, just to see her or something would have been kind of nice. Yeah. Oh, so, that would have been cool. Instead, we got Christian yeah. Slater, you know. Siskoid, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this one? No, I like it. I like um, I like the art. And showing a lot of gums in uh, the, the top <laughs> one, but I see that that's just a problem with the the um, the, the printing, really, because there's supposed to be you know a line there that isn't there. Uh, yeah, no, I you know especially the in the serpent, it really looks like Catherine Hicks, mm. especially. I mean, you know, um, it's a nice entry. What can I say? I think it's terrific. All right, so next up are the Tellarites, Joe Bosowski and Greg Brooks from Journey to Babel. Uh, okay, anybody? <laughs> uh, the, the only thing I got out of this is that the writer and artist did not talk. Yeah. Because the, <laughs> the writer is describing, and the Tellarites wear this, and there are this, this many patches on their shirt, and they have elevated shoulders. And you look at the, the entry, and it's like, no, we're not, not going to do any of that. <laughs> Yep, that was my note as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think he's describing more what the Tellarite had on in Whom Gods Destroy, uh, in the Asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this looks more off my memory, like what they had on in Journey to Babel. But I, I don't know. They, no, they I, just, uh, I think uh, that ambassador had more elaborate than this. Yeah. Yeah, this looks brother. like they just they just got out of the shower and put on a bathrobe or something. <laughs> Is it the Ilea bathrobe? No, I don't think so. Did they always have hooves? I don't we never so. saw their feet. Okay, because it's it's looking at it now. It's really the like the weirder thing. Like they're, I'm used to them being a bit like, you know, pig like, but um, those feet. I don't know. That, you know. <laughs> And the, the rest of them don't don't look pig-like enough. They don't look, and I know they changed the makeup because the makeup in the first episode was actually kind of bad. Um, yeah, and and they refined it in the second one, but uh, they don't look pig-like enough. I mean, this could be High Father on the left over here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Isaiah says, Captain Kirk, go to the source wall. You know. <laughs> yeah. That would explain why Kirk looks more like Orion. Yeah, there you go. And they they played a much bigger part on Enterprise, where they had like a modern, more modern makeup as well. You know, as founders of the Federation. Tell the rights go clippity clop. So, all right, next up uh, are the Tribbles, everybody's favorite, drawn by well maybe drawn by Mike Carlin. 
uh, and Dick Giordano. I think this is another one of the Mike Carlin. Not, I mean, he did some some drawing for Marvel's Crazy Magazine, some doodles and stuff, but he wasn't really an artist. So this feels like a, a, one of those entries that they just sort of gave to one of the writers or writers and editors as a kind of gift, and then they got a real ringer to bring in as a as the anchor to make sure it looked professional. Because like yeah. in, in the Who's Who series, Marv Wolfman did a listing, Mark Evan Neer did a listing, uh, Jim Bruning did a listing, people that were not artists, and then they brought in somebody really good. So, you know, who can't draw a triple, really? Yeah. Uh, but that said, that's a pretty good likeness of Cyrano Jones. I, yeah. I think that's really pretty well done. Maybe that's more the work of Giordano. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I like the, 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 the uh, shot of Kirk getting pelted. With all the tribbles, and I've always believed that in that scene where he gets all the tribbles drop on his head and he starts talking, and tribbles just keep falling. I'm sure those were stagehands pelting William Shatner with tribbles, and who would not want to throw something at William Shatner if you had the chance? So I, I feel like right. those were crew guys. Are like, watch this! I'm going to make him flub his line. <laughs> yes, at William Shatner. And of course, the biggest nit in that scene was if the grain had been in there. <laughs> Kirk he would, would have been, been dead, dead, <laughs> drowned <Yeah>. in grain. <laughs> I know we talked about uh, Mego dolls last time, but did anyone ever have a Tribble? Because we, we had one. I it was one had... of the few Star Trek toys we actually had. I, never had I think trouble. we had one. I don't know what happened to it, though. Never Maybe there's a glomer around here. It had <laughs> batteries in it, and it would purr. You could make oh. it purr. Uh, my sister had it. It was my sister's. But... Um, yeah, we did have we did have a triple. Yeah, the art on this entry actually looks to me more like it's based on the animated series episode rather than the the live action episode. It, it just look more like filmation characters than trying to be real people. That that, that Klingon though, though does look a little like Michael Pataki. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but also it looks like the stock Klingon commander they had in for filmation. Well, that's true, too, that, that Migo made, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, I mean, there isn't a whole lot, I mean, they get a lot of entry, considering, I mean, at the same time, they're pretty famous, and of course, there would be years before we would do the Deep Space Nine episode, uh, the Trials and Tribulations, so, I mean, the Tribbles, and then, you know, the Tribbles have gone on, I mean, they make a cameo in uh, uh, the Star Trek reboot, they appear in Star Trek Three. So they've always found a way to work them in here and there. I mean, how can you not? You just put a triple on a desk and you're done. You've made an appearance by a triple. So. All right. Next up is the Triskelions, uh, or Triskelion, uh, drawn by Todd McFarlane. This is a rough entry. I think this yeah, is it's really, really rough. Yeah. Compared to what's on the next page, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know who he was drawing in this because <laughs> it doesn't look like Michelle Nichols or William Shatner in there. Uh, I mean, the bald guy kind of looks like the one from the episode, but not much. It's just, and are those supposed to be brains or wrinkled tribbles? <laughs> I always assumed it was gold kryptonite, purple kryptonite and <laughs> crystal kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> uh. That, I, my favorite thing in this entry was it says the Enterprise crew, as in the conflicts brought on by the Metrons and the Excalbians, were permitted to watch Kirk's battle on the ship's view screen. In other words, Asherman's taking a, a swing at the fact that there's a lot of repetitive scripting in Star Trek. 
Well, there's a lot of repetitive entries in here, so very That's even. true. That's true. I can't believe he doesn't mention the Arganians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Arganians did not approve of the Triskelion <laughs> slave trade. And One no quadloops we... for you. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, we could, yes, oh, I was going to double up on the joke, but let's just move on. We're almost done. Uh, <laughs> uh, the final member of the Magnificent Seven, Uhura. Uh, she gets her two pages drawn by Jan Dersima. Uh, her first appearance in the Corbinite Maneuver, of course. We see her in the background uh, with Chekhov. I guess that's supposed to be Chekhov. I'm not really sure. It's, I mean, we can tell from the context it's supposed to be Chekhov, but it doesn't look like yeah. Chekhov. We see her standing on the beaches of uh, you know, of San Francisco, where she's in presumably in front of the USS Enterprise, the ship Enterprise. We see her in her classic outfit, uh, hailing frequencies open, a nice kind of dramatic close-up, uh, Pam Greerish close-up of her, and then her again with Chekhov and a triple. Uh, what do we think of this one? I like this one quite a bit. I mean, there's there's some strong likeness in a couple shots and not so much in others. But overall, I feel like this looks like Ahura. I don't know who that is. Uh, I guess that's supposed to be Kirk that's in front of her in the upper middle of page two. And it yeah, just I assume doesn't, so, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really look a the thing shirt, like him. But It looks like the shirt is torn, so I assume it's Kirk, but it's not. <laughs> it's not, it's not torn. It. it just looks like he tore it. Yeah. Just like on Futurama, he tore his own shirt, you know. But. <laughs> I mean, the art on Uhura is really good. The other characters, not so much, except for the checkoff with the Tribble. That looks dead on. Yeah, yeah. My, my only issue with the entry, though, is logic. Um, she lost her everything when Nomad <laughs> blasted her, right? She went blank slate. So how can she tell us what she remembers about growing up? <laughs> Maybe that was all recorded way before. You know, take from logs were taken from her diaries. I I guess so. She read it in Who's Who, Gene. Oh, of course. How silly of me. Said it on memory beta, it come from Who's Who, you know, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, but you know, that that the nomad bit with her has always even as a kid, I'm like, no, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, what really? I mean, she's like one of the main characters. They're going to wipe her. She's going to be next week. She'll or, or in syndication tomorrow. She'll remember <laughs> everything and be retrained. Really? Well, I think. You didn't think the reset button came through with Voyager, did you? <laughs> well, I know prized that thing all the time because uh, probably because Nomad is one of my favorite things uh, ever. But um, they, you know that she, they, they wiped. They didn't wipe her everything from her. They, you know, it's anyways. Right. <laughs> I keep According to this entry, <laughs> yeah. Well, she had backups. You know, yeah. they backup reintegrated. Reserves. Yeah, they so, they destroy all the horror cruxes. Yeah. <laughs> Vulcan therapy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, my only real issue with this entry is uh, is the shadow on her face in the main yeah. image. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's like she's bleeding from an eye. That's uh, really my only, you know, my only real problem. But uh, yeah, Uhura, one of my one of the, my favorite characters as well. I call shenanigans on though the 
the referral to Star Trek uh, 3, where it says it was Uhura who beamed Kirk and company back to the Enterprise for their journey. Uhura, unable to join them via the transporter, made her way to the Vulcan embassy. Give me a break. Like, That's someone yeah. who didn't see Star Trek 2, <laughs> where they all beamed down at once. Yeah, I, right. please. I, I, I have still never been able to find out anywhere why <laughs> Nichelle Nichols is written out of Star Trek 3 so completely. And so the idea that she couldn't set the transporter to, oh, I don't know, wait another five seconds <laughs> so she could join, that's like, give me a break. Come on. We can yeah. do that on a camera. Why not on the transporter? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's, come on. That, give, me, give me a break. But all right. I will say one more thing. I think J.J. Abrams read this entry because it hints at a closer relationship between Spock and Uhura than we ever saw on the show. Oh, with the singing and everything? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know know they jammed together, but, you know, it's... No, I've read essays about this. It's... And I've been watching... When I rewatched the show uh, at some point, I was kind of looking for it. There's a lot of Spock encouraging Uhura, being nicer to Uhura than to other crew members. Um, it, it's in there. And it's it's been part of fandom for a long time. Okay. If yeah. you say so. I, I Well, you know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> They've been shipping these characters before shipping was a thing. <laughs> FedEx or UPS? all right we're getting punchy here okay uh (laughs) smart ass or just a jerk okay um yes we got boys come on we got the united (laughs) we have the united federation of planets uh joined by drawn by arts t bear uh we see basically uh the a lot of the events from star trek four uh, we said the, the Klingon declaring there will be no peace as long as Kirk lives. John Shock Klingon. Uh, hmm. And uh, we have the, the, pres- the president of uh, the United Federation of Planets. Uh, you know, this is pretty kind of pro forma. It's got a lot of text to it because, of course, there's a lot of history here to recall. Uh, you know, I think it's perfectly fine. It's, it's a necessary entry. I don't think it's terribly exciting, but it's one of the building blocks of the whole Star Trek universe, so you have to have it. R.T. Bear's artwork here looks very Perez-like. It's, yes. It, it, yeah. it looks, I mean, the, the president of the UFP almost looks like the monitor there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the where's uh, Harbinger? <laughs> the boxy layouts, yeah. It's, you're right. Yeah, he's, I'm, does... I'm, I'm used to more of an imagey RT Bear, slightly imagey, you know, '90s RT Bear. So, yeah, I I almost think that they could have reduced the artwork somewhat and made this a two-page entry and freed up room for something else. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, yes. keep all the text, just get rid of, shrink some of the image a little bit, or get rid of some of the stuff. You know, cause you're you're repeating. You have three different versions of the Federation president. All in the same outfit, all looking like he's about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, don't, I don't think you necessarily need the aliens working over the the board in on the third page or anything. Maybe shrink it up and free free up for some of those appendixed entries that really should have been in here. Yeah, I do see the back of Michael Behrman's head, though the guy from the Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> 40% cloud cover. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, next up we have another double uh, half page uh, for two different characters. We have the Vians from the Empath, drawn by Ken Penders and Dennis Jensen. Uh, <laughs> I, a lot of these characters have these just these generic robes that they wear. Uh, it's kind of like for any of you not looking at this particular listing, uh, they they kind of have like Talosian heads. At least in the drawing, they've got these big, odd-shaped heads, and then they have these sort of very bland robes. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Yeah, they but. they really didn't. They didn't bring out the Penders or the Jensen didn't bring out the distinction between them and the Talosians. The ridges on their head and their kind of wrinkled faces. You know, you don't you don't get any of that here. So they they look like cut-rate Talosians. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> we're on the show. I mean. My only note on this is how these morts get an entry. <laughs> you you went over all of this with Jem. Why why do you have to repeat it here? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And those are a Beth, but we get these guys. Okay, right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, another, it's another case of uh, we're doing uh, half entry for Vina, so uh, who, we, who can we get alphabetically? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could do another half page of the United Federation of Planet President or something. <laughs> you look we don't worried. have Red Foreman yet. We can't. We can't do Kurtwood Smith because Star Trek Six hasn't come out yet. So you know. yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, the, the other half page is Vina, drawn by Steve Bove. Okay. Now I'm very, very conflicted here, because I have talked to Steve Bove. Uh, he sent me uh, some Aquaman artwork that he did. He has been, I haven't spoken to him in many, many years, but I uh, have spoken to him and he has been nothing but nice to me. Uh, he seems like a very nice man. That said, uh, I believe that this drawing is the single worst drawing in any Who's Who book we have covered. Uh, wow. Uh, I, well, I'm not sure it's quite that bad. Uh, you know, it's it's supposed to be like a sort of uh, fanciful fantasy kind of image. I, I don't I don't like it. He was working on production on this. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. It's I think my problem isn't so much with the three Venas as much as the fact that like the main Vena is super tiny in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, we see her in other entries, but here we're just getting uh, well the the cronish. Vina, uh, you know, the wounded Vina, and then two fantasy Venas that weren't actually her. Um, it, it's, it's more about, you know, what the, the content is that I find disturbing more than the actual art style, which is, uh, you know, more indie, let's say, mm-hmm. than a right. lot of the other entries. Yeah, I, well, I, see, I see what he's going for, the maiden, the matron, and the crone yeah. set up, but it, it, it just doesn't work. Because he's uh, got I, two maidens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no matron. Well, it, you, you could make the case that he's going for the matron with the slave girl. Uh, because she's drawn to look older than the princess Vina. With right. the the more pronounced cheekbones, etc. But yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It would have been nice if they were the serpent and you had the... Vina that we saw most of the time as the foreground image, like you said. You could have just like cut the the uh, Vina from the Pike entry by Ron Friends and popped it in here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we definitely needed some more Ron Friends. I, I completely agree. I yeah, maybe I'm being a little harsh. I just can't look at this thing. I I'm willing to go with Siskoid's 
take on it. I'm a little kinder. I just I just think this is so yeah. Oh boy, rough. Uh, so uh, but this is the last entry in the book before we get to the appendix, guys. We did it. Uh, we're here. Woo. The Vulcans, drawn by Cynthia Martin, who is probably most known for drawing Star Wars for Marvel. So she's getting a little oh. Star Wars and Star Trek going on here. Uh, it's the design's a little wonky, but we see a lot of the kind of weirdness of a lot of the, the temples and all the, the architecture and stuff like that. And we see uh, Jalan, I think her name was, at the end of Star Trek Three, played by Dame Judith Anderson. Um, it's a it, pretty good listing, I think. There's a lot of text to cover. I mean, the Vulcans are really, like, you know, such a... I, like, would you guys are they probably the most famous alien race? Anybody like ever in fiction? Has anybody ever heard? I mean, who hasn't heard of Vulcans? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, because I don't think the you know the the Star Wars alien races aren't as famous as the characters themselves. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you 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 do the Vulcan salute. Everyone knows what you're doing yep. immediately. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah. Vulcans and Klingons are possibly tied, but yeah, no, it's ter- definitely one of the iconic ones. I like that we get to Pring. That's nice. You know. Yes. Yeah. A v- very good looking to Pring too. Yeah, that's dead on. That's her. I mean, you know, she didn't get her in- and own it- her own entry, you know, and Stan didn't get one either, you know. So. <laughs> no, it's the uh, same thing with the Klingons and Romulans where the the name characters are just uh, you know, it, it folded right. into the species entry, which is which is too bad considering that we do get a lot of uh, morts <laughs> yeah. get their own entries yeah. where you know Core didn't get one and Krug didn't, Krug didn't get one and so uh, and same here. I mean, there are name at least we do get some name Vulcans that get their own entries like Sarek. Uh, well, now we're into the back inside cover. It's the Star Trek Appendix, and in lieu of characters, because uh, we basically covered that in the first book, we get the command symbols, and we have little draw, little diagnostic drawings of the ensign, ensign first class, lieutenant junior grade, lieutenant, lieutenant commander, commander, captain, fleet captain, commodore, rear admiral, vice admiral, and admiral. Okay. <laughs> well, the the one thing I have to say about this is it's one of the few times I've seen them actually get Lieutenant Commander symbol right. Because hmm. even in Mr. Sp- uh, Scott's guide, they do not have the correct symbol in there. And these are directly out of the style guide that they use to create the uniforms. I know because uh-huh. I have a copy of it. Hmm. So were they saying that Admiral is the highest rank you can attain? In Starfleet? Uh, no, there's uh, one more rank, Fleet Admiral. So yeah. it would look like the Admiral, but it would have it would have another circle behind the uh, okay the arrowheads there. With, right. And Fleet Admiral would be Nagura. Right. So okay, so when Kirk is busted from Admiral to Captain, that's a hell of a drop. It is. Yeah. It, 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 he basically re- loses what six ranks. That's 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 really busted. Yeah. Well, it, they basically take away any flag rank he could have, so he is not allowed to command more than one ship at a time. Right. Every rank above that, he would be able to command more than one ship. It's funny because, I mean, they don't say this in Star Trek Two, but that's the, the – I, I think you'd naturally get the assumption is that Admiral is the promotion from Captain. Because, of course, last when you last heard of him, he's Captain Kirk. 
Mm. And then you hear him and he's Admiral Kirk. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I always assumed it was like, oh, I guess he just went from captain to Admiral, but he, he zoomed up the ladder. Uh, maybe that's why Khan is so pissed, you know, they they actually do cover that in this issue on, I believe is under the Starfleet entry where they say that there was a, uh, more or less a coup between the, in the Admiralty that upset everything. And they, the enterprise crew came in, helped Nagora straighten it out. And Nagora, to stabilize everything, made Kirk chief of Starfleet operations. And to be that rank, you have to be an admiral. That was a, I'm sad. That was a big loss in pay. Although I guess they don't do pay in the Federation and Star Trek. Well, now they say they use credits in this. Yep, they do. And I know that that's a big debate. Well, they don't use money in Star Trek. Well, you know, I know by the time the next gen comes around, they don't. But here they do. So. Yeah, they, the original crew always used money. All right. Interesting. Well, that's under that kind of uh, low-key ending. Uh, that's the end of Who's you, Who in Star Trek. We did it, You forgot fellas. the environmental jacket, man. The environmental jacket. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing the environmental hey. jacket. friend of mine actually owns one of those. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. you're a friend, Gene. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't me because it wouldn't fit. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. So, I mean, we did it. We got through it, guys. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, b- before we, we wrap up, because, again, we don't want it to go on too long, like, wh- why don't we just get from each one of you, like, just a general thought about who's doing Star Trek as a series. I mean, how do you think it, it holds up as a, what it was meant to do, which was just sort of, you know, present the universe maybe to newbies a little bit. I think, I mean, I don't know if anybody new to Star Trek would, would really buy Who's Who in Star Trek. I think it's probably more for a diehard fan. But what do you guys, now that you've had the chance to, to, to examine it page by page, um, we'll start with, with Chris. What do you just, what are your general thoughts about Who's Who in Star Trek? Well, if I go back to where I, when I bought these off the stands, um, you know, I didn't have any Star Trek reference books. I had a few Starlog magazines here and there. And I, you know, watched all the episodes and seen all the movies up to that point. Uh, but, you know, I think this did, you know, kind of cement what was in the shows. Um, you know, it kind of you know, brought out, oh, I hadn't really thought of that. Of course, I was a kid when it came out. But, you know, now looking at it, I can see where, uh, you know, it's if you're a Star Trek fan, it's used to the Star Trek encyclopedia or going to a website like Memory Alpha or something. You can say, OK, well, why is this character left out completely where this story gets mentioned three, four times. Uh, the, the, you know, just like anything, when we do on a podcast, when you start to critique it, you can see the, the cracks and the flaws. But overall, I think that in 1986, this came out. If you were a fan of the Star Trek comic or had just, you just went and saw Star Trek four because Star Trek four had a, a broader appeal than the other films. Uh, that was a Star Trek film for people who didn't like Star Trek films. And I think you could pick this up and, and learn quite a bit about the Star Trek universe. So I think it worked in that regard. All right. So, Squid, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Chris completely. It's like today I have so many reference books that um, and, and, you know, reference sites to go to that something like this except for the fact that I am or was a big who's who fan that would have bought anything with who's who, the who's who branding on it. Um, and I did, I mean, I've got all the impact ones. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. Uh, who's who was who's who. 
<laughs> you know. But um, yeah, so other than than I liked back in the day, I liked these encyclopedia type series and would have bought any of them. There, I mean, there just wasn't that much information you could get on. And this was like a fairly cheap. At, uh, for me, it was like two dollars ten Canadian. I suppose uh, there wasn't very much you could get about any of the series you liked. So this was a fun reference series for the time. And today, it's it's our chance to see uh, the very least. It's seeing uh, some of uh, comics great artists doing a lot of care of uh, a lot of Star Trek properties, uh, characters, and things. So. Uh, Yes, there are some, you know, Kim Penders ones, but we get some cool John Byrne, we get Walt Simonson, we get George Perez, we get, you know, and those art pieces stand by themselves. So, uh, yeah, today I can see all the flaws, and I'm, I was, I'd hope for other characters, and I'm discovering all the off-model ones, uh, but at the time, that, that would not have been an issue for me. Gene? Uh, can... Having to put this in context is where it holds up for me, it, because you have to remember this this exists in a time before the next generation, where the most recent movie was Star Trek Four. So for someone like like Chris and Siskoid said, or is just coming into it, or is they are picking up the Star Trek comic because of the ads in other DC comics or seeing the Star Trek four out, they need a basis. Some, some people may not have had the syndication run like some of us had of the original series. So they wouldn't necessarily know any of this stuff. That's where this is useful. Beyond that, once you get into the next gen and how things get wonky compared to the way it's written here, it doesn't really have much use, but for the time it came out, I thought I think it was a very useful tool, uh, even for someone like me who had multiple technical manuals at this point uh, and had read them several times, including the orders, the uh, articles of Confederation for the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> But it, there's still some interesting stuff in there, and even some surprises like T'Pau and Spock being related in whatever manner they, the entry says. It's something you wouldn't necessarily get anywhere else because they, that's not what they were focused on. So I, I think it's, it's an interesting read for Star Trek fans, and it's a good companion piece if you're going to be reading through the comics without any other influence, like without rewatching the original series, this is a nice touch point for it. Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much agree. I'm pretty much where you guys are. I bought these off the stands at the time, even though I wasn't really reading the Star Trek comic, but I was a huge fan of the, the movies and the, the show, certainly. Um, I do. I wish they hadn't maybe relied on some of the lesser kind of artists so heavily. Uh, you know, there's three or four artists here that are, that get several entries that I don't necessarily think, you know, they maybe should have, I don't want to say tried harder because we don't know that they didn't, but, uh, you know, the ones that really pop, 
the Ron Friends ones, the Burns, the Simonsons, those are Gray Morrow. I mean, I think I think they're this this is a, a noble effort um, to do to do right by the Star Trek franchise and try to untangle you know one of the most continuity laden franchises in all of. Uh, know in all of literature basically uh, I, I i'm sort of intrigued as what this might look like if they had done it later on after next gen and had concluded the original character series that might have been interesting to chronicle well maybe not five but six Star Trek six <laughs> but uh you know talk about unification and all the other stuff so yeah i think it's a it's a it's a fine attempt to, to do this and uh like i said it's it's a shows the durability of the Who's Who franchise, that they could morph this onto non-superhero characters and, and make it work as well as it did. So um, I have to thank all you guys for, for coming on and helping me do this. I was really nervous because this is the first Who's Who that Shag and I have not done together. And uh, we've been doing it every month for five years. <laughs> and I don't know Star Trek the way you guys know Star Trek. I, I know it fairly well, but my knowledge is dwarfed uh, by what you guys know. So I really appreciate you all coming on to, to do this with me. I think this would, would, would made it fly is you guys. So, uh, Chris, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, I'm here on the Firewater Podcast Network on Supermates with my wife, Cindy. I'm on the Power Records Podcast, which we really need to get back to with you, Rob. <laughs> and I am on the upcoming Batman Nightcast podcast with our pal Ryan Daly, where we talk about the post-crisis adventures of Batman. All right. Siskoid? Coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, you can, uh, obviously, you can go to the Fire and Water Network. I have several shows, including uh, First Strike Invasion, No Hot or Not, uh, Lonely Hearts, which is, you know, less uh, less frequent, uh, let's say, and... Uh, I'm sure I have another one. Oh, yeah, give me that Star Trek, which is about <laughs> this particular franchise. Uh, and you can also find me in, um, if you're more of a reader, Cisco's blog of Geekery has still has like two articles a day, uh, and it's been so for 10 years. If you go back to the the beginning, the first three years of that blog had a daily article on Star Trek. I review every single episode of every series, and then I get into the comics and novels. So... Plenty to read if, um, uh, if if that's your thing. Wow. Gene? Uh, I'm not quite as obsessive with the blog as Ciscoid is, but I do have a blog of my own called at thehammerstrikes.com, and that's a weekly entry. Uh, whatever geeky thing happens to pop into my mind, I go all over the gamut. Uh, and if I am the interloper here is I am not on the Fire and Water Network. I am on the Two True Freaks Network, and that can be found at twotruefreaks.com, T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. And I have a few shows over there, the Hammer Podcast, which is essentially the verbal version of the blog. It's whatever geeky thing happens to pop into my head for that that moment in time uh the quantum cast where my good friend adam worth and i are going through the quasar comic series and anime freaks with dr bill robinson where we have finished up our look at star blazers and we have our look at the movie akira coming up and after that we are tackling two count them two new anime shows every episode and i would like to thank you guys for uh allowing me to sit in on this because this was really fun Thank you, Gene. And again, thank you guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Siskoid, for doing this with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is the Who's Who franchise is something that Shag and I 
did as a lark and it became the most popular thing we do and so i really wanted to do this right and and i hope that everybody enjoyed it i get the sense from the comments that they did enjoy the first episode so i hope you enjoy this and uh we are gonna as, as i mentioned at the top of the show we are going to do a separate episode on the feedback for this series and for legion together that's going to come down in a couple of months but in the meantime i am going to hand the who's who baton over to shag when he's going to tackle who's who in legion because nobody wants me talking about the legion of superheroes so uh i guess it's probably going to be about a month from now where we're going to have the first episode of who's who in legion hosted by shag and his series of other co-hosts so that will be a lot of fun so Again, guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find the show, of course, at the network, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at FW Podcast. We're also on Facebook. Uh, you can And make sure you leave comments because I, I want to hear it. I want to hear what you guys have to say. So, um, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, I guess until we come back with Who's Who and Legion, we're just going to say second star to the right, straight on till morning. Captain. We were humanoid like yourselves, but we have developed beyond the need of physical bodies. That of us which you see is mere appearance for your sake.